All right, here we are. Atwood Unleashed, number nine. And we have got another huge lineup for tonight. Let's go over that first before we bring the first guest in. A guest we have had on before, Kai, son of Peter Nygaard, back with Chris Hansen. Yes. So, Chris Hansen is coming on at 7.40 to 8.10. We'll be talking about the Nygaard case and the whole concept of enablers and enablers in these big predator cases. And I've been watching a lot of Chris Hansen's clips on YouTube. Wow, some of the stuff, catch a predator. So I've got some questions about that. One of the predators showed up with a kill kit. Don't know if you saw that one, but YouTube predator Chris Hansen kill kit. He was going to do some nasty stuff. So Kai will be coming on, on his own uh, from 6.05 to 6.35. Chris Hansen's coming later on. Then we have a whole hour of Ryan Dawson. Yes. He's going to be with us from 6.35 to 7. And... First 25 minutes on YouTube, then we will be going over to Patreon for tiers two and three. The link for the Patreon tiers is in the description box. We hope some of you will join our community over there. So there's a 10 minute transitional period commencing 7.10, right back with Ryan Dawson going over his Epstein map and the connections with the Clinton crime family. Should be fun. The first section with Ryan, he's going to be talking about Epstein, Wexner, and more. Then Chris Hansen. Then he's rapidly becoming a channel favorite. Steeples Times editor Matthew Steeples will be back talking about Maxwell's third attempt to get bail and the Stuart Lubbock Michael Barrymore case from 8.40 to 9 on Patreon. We will be doing a Q&A. So let's check and see if he is, if the, our guest is in the Zoom room. Let's just check. Let's bring him in. Um, he is in the Zoom room. So we've got two people presently in the Zoom room. Two people in the Zoom room. How can that be? View. Oh, Ryan is already in the Zoom room. Okay, let's get Kai in first. Lisa Haber was going to be joining us tonight, lawyer. But I said that on the video earlier today, but she's probably giving birth around now. So congratulations to Lisa. All right, so Kai's coming in right now. I can hear him. And we will be talking about Nygaard as a flight risk. Uh, I just read this crazy article about how Peter Nygaard in the jail, he has access to a phone. First time ever, all day long. All the other prisoners can't have this privilege. So imagine you're in prison 
and some guys just waltzed in a billionaire and he's got access to a phone all day long. How would that make you feel? Hello, Kai, I can hear you. All right, to press your start video button. Okay, just give me one second, Sean. I think I have it. Ah, uh, got it right there. there Perfect. Hey, good to see you again, man. How's it going? Hey, it's going. It's <laughs> interesting times right now. Interesting times with, uh, as you alluded to, this situation with Nygaard in the jails. I'm, 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 I'm glad to come on the show and talk a little bit about it because it's brought up quite a bit of uh, controversy in Canada. Oh, yeah, we really appreciate you coming back. Now. I was incarcerated for ecstasy trafficking in Arizona and people in jail have very little. People are desperate. They're looking at each other. What can I get out the next person? And for someone to come along and just have telephone access, that would drive the inmate population absolutely crazy. So I can imagine the uproar that he's causing by having this? Yeah. Um, well, there's uh, two parts to this story. Um, so he, he applied for bail and they had to submit a, uh, you know, an affidavit and describe what was going on in, in at Heatingly Correctional Center. Uh, they call it HCC in Winnipeg. And nobody knew what the conditions were. So we got this reveal. Now there's a couple things to keep in mind because initially I was, I was really mad about this and I was, uh, was posting on Twitter and, and I wanted answers and all that stuff. Um, you got to understand too, that they're in a, they're in a tricky position because technically what he's being held for is he he's not really charged with a crime or anything like it's not supposed to be a punishment for him the, they're just trying to get him to the usa right so it's it's a little different and um i was speaking to a lawyer last night about it who said to me not to get as worked up about it because it could be that part of his bail application is that, Hey, I, I'm technically not supposed to even be here and doing all this. I should be on house arrest. And essentially they're kind of creating a house arrest environment for him at the center. And that's what I'm trying to let settle in as, as what the reality is. Cause I you know, obviously feel so upset because you find out over the years, about 50 plus years of um, alleged horrific, sex crimes and you you say to yourself gee golly uh shouldn't get a tv or a phone now let me go through first though what what he does have because it's not out of it yet because there's like there, there's still a lot of questions going on so let me just explain this one to you so what he has is he has a, a cell that's big enough for three people all to himself for starters um, he's on a special diet, which I totally get. I'm happy about a diabetic diet. Cause I think you want to keep them alive best you can. So fine. Give him the diabetic diet. Great. Um, he has his own chair. He has two mattresses and, uh, he uses that because he says that he's got a back issue and he needs to sleep at a 45 degree angle. So I, I can understand that. 
And then um, where the rubber hits the road in this thing is he's got his own phone from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. And he can call whoever he wants. Basically, I, I believe it's recorded. Um, but I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's recorded. And then he's got his own TV, which that was a trigger for me because I've been sitting here hoping that he would have to face his demons. He, he's not someone that can sit by himself. He needs constant stimulation. So he's got to be on his cell phone and he's, he's, he has to always be doing something. He sleeps with the TV on, right? So it's a little, he's a little different like that. So when I heard he had a TV, I just didn't understand. It made me upset because I felt like, man, this isn't prison. He might as well be at the Holiday Inn or something. If he's just hanging back, having his phone, being on the TV, it, I, I was really upset. <laughs> um, and I know you've never heard of anything like that because I've, I've watched some of your videos, Sean, about experiences in prison and you're you're literally just laughing on the videos about uh people complaining about food and whatnot and the reality is is this doesn't happen i mean have you ever heard of anything like this before okay so on remand as an unsentenced prisoner in arizona in sheriff jopio's jail they had like 45 men in an area that was built for 15 so in each cell, one man cell was three people. Sometimes they'd have a fourth person on the floor sleeping. And you could come out during certain times of the day into a day room where they got all these tables bolted to the floor. And then there's a tiny little TV on the wall that hardly like tuned in properly. And because it's all racial gangs, the whites, the blacks, the Mexicans, the Mexican-Americans, you know, the Mexicans want to watch Caliente, or whatever it is, the whites want to watch Bonanza, or whatever it is. <laughs> so everyone, all the gang leaders have to get together and allocate a certain time that each race can have control of the TV. It's, it's a privilege that's cherished for sure, but to have your own, you know, just to be on remand and have your own like that is um, something else. With a phone as well, though, because with the phone, yeah, there's a phone in the day room it's got a little cord on it so you can't hang yourself and then you get assigned the number and you got to put a number in and whoever you call they have to pay for the phone call i called my parents it was like 10 minutes they got charged like 60 dollars for a 10 minute phone call because it was to england so it's a huge industry in itself and then you got you know 45 people trying to get on the phone at the same time as soon as the doors open so to have just your own phone in your own cell with your own TV and to be able to go on the phone for hours and hours and hours on end, that's completely unheard of. Yeah, I, I'm not a lawyer and I, I don't work at the at the remand center and I'm not in Canada. Um, I want to try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to do that. But it's um, there's obviously a ton of there was a, a lot of uproar about this because everyone got this reveal about what was going on. And it just seemed really unfair, uh, especially the amount of phone access and, and having your own TV in your room. Um, the good news is, is that it's caused a lot of transparency questions and uh, a lot of eyeballs on it. I felt a little bit upset the other day on Twitter. I saw something where basically the justice minister was asked about it 
and he said Magard's not getting any special treatment and um you know at, at first I was wondering man does he have connections in the government and the jail stuff and that somebody somehow is is hooking him up still is that part of the reason why he never got busted in Canada because I heard um that things have been filed in Canada before and nothing ever really came of it. So there's always more information kind of coming out. Um, but my hope and where I'm trying to stay at is that this was part of somehow a bail strategy to not allow him to get access to house arrest. And that, uh, that it's going to be more difficult for him to make that argument. And if it, frankly, if it's between him, being on house arrest or being at the jail with a TV, I'd, I'd take the jail every time, right? So um, some questions there. It's certainly ruffled a lot of feathers, uh, mine included, and, and a number of other Canadians. And I guess I'm smiling about it just because it's so unprecedented and I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> um, but there you go. So it's good to update. see you. It's good to see you radiating happy energy. And for the people who have jumped on the live stream, Kai is billionaire, Peter Nygaard's son. And for people who are hip to the case, we've seen that Prince Andrew was down there on the island. Uh, you know, this guy knew some really powerful people. Now that he's in the jail facing extradition to the feds for these heinous crimes, maybe some of you have seen these videos of the Pampa parties online. Um, Ryan Dawson has talked about, you know, kids, teenage girls, drugged, um, various, let's just say, acts uh, forced upon them um, just to get around YouTube's uh, algorithm thing. I'm, I'm weighing my words carefully. Um, so Kai has bravely speaking out, you know, there came a point in the story of his life where he was hanging out with his dad and he was doing all these things and then certain warning signs became apparent and then if you heard part one of his story this, this these warning signs grew until kai was absolutely convinced that his dad was committing this monstrous activity so for kai to speak out you know in the, in all of this craziness we salute his, his bravery and um what chance does he have of not being extradited what chance does he have of not being bailed. When are these next hearing dates? Well, um, to comment on what you just said, Sean, that that's a good way to take the smile off my face by talking about the crimes of Peter Nygaard. That's a devastating, uh, horrific scene. And um, I, uh, as his son, I spent time with him um, throughout my 20s on a limited capacity uh, really exposed to more of the work environment and philanthropic projects with Nygaard not exposed to his personal life or his private life. Um, I'm 38 now. Um, and yeah, like you said, I, I actually attended a dinner party where I saw something and um, I said something and uh, I had a falling out within the Nygaard world over it. And then later I ended up joining the investigation with the civil attorneys and the other authorities to assist in any way that I could as a civilian. And ultimately there was um, a very intense, let's call it 10 months before he got arrested. And, uh, and here we are. And um, 
the chances of him being able to get out of this, I think are extremely low as long as he maintain, as long as they maintain him in the jail. Uh, if he gets out of the jail, he's an extreme flight risk. Um, he still has supporters. He has people that uh, have come out and said they have a hard time seeing that these crimes were committed or that they would be true. They've said that recently. And these are people who are managing um, a lot of the money that's in question right now because Nygaard, I'll give you another note on this. So Nygaard says that, and I, I kind of disconnected from him as father, so I'm, I call him Nygaard now basically, but he has said that uh, he doesn't have any money. So somebody is paying for his lawyers because he just got a very expensive lawyer uh, in Toronto, which is why he's now done this uh, bail application. He must be racking up some serious lawyer bills every day. And uh, I really want to know who's paying for his lawyers. Uh, who is that person out there? Is it one of the co-conspirators? There's been 13 that I counted the other day that's on the uh, 57 women civil suit. And I have a lot of questions for those 13 um, named co-conspirators because if I was named on there, which obviously I'm not, but if I was, uh, I would be calling the civil attorneys, I would be calling the authorities and I would be helping them in whatever way I can to make sure that I'm uh, assisting. And as far as I know, nobody has contacted the civil attorneys or the authorities that have been named in the, as co-conspirators. And let me just put a little something else out there for anyone that's in the Nygaard world. Even if you weren't named in, as a co-conspirator, um, please contact the authorities and contact the civil attorneys and do your part to be involved in the justice process because right now we need full exposure and clarity on what the heck happened. And um, so we're in a process now, Sean, where um, he's, he's incarcerated, but there's a lot, there's still names out there and there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And I don't think that silence is a very good option, especially if you're being suspected and even if you're not currently being suspected, we're talking about rape and pedophilia. So please step up to the plate and make a call. I can tell you I've had certain family members that, you know, all unfriended me at the same time when they saw that I was on the side of justice and truth. You know, those family members, um, I hope you do the right thing because eventually all this information comes out. I'm not trying to name names right now. But at some point, some this information is going to come out and all people's actions, what they do, history is being written right now on this case. So that's my little part uh, that I wanted to say um, to answer your question of whether or not he's, you know, much what's going to happen with him. It, 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 the reason this bail stuff so important is there's he will have help if he gets out and he will run. He will do everything he can. He will not stick around for this. But he's also on his way to a very bad place because they want him in that Southern District of Court uh, of New York. And that's the, uh, the same uh, facility, I think, that uh, Maxwell's at. 
And uh, from all accounts that I've heard, that is not a good place to go. So uh, the end of the road for him, but he could delay this thing. That's the thing. He could delay this thing for a while. I was looking at all the appeals processes and everything like that. And he can appeal and do this. I mean, this thing could get strung out for a year or two or three. That's all possible. And if Canada lays charges, uh, that could also complicate things. So let's find out. But Sean, there's one more part of this that made headlines a couple of days ago that I wanted to give you some insights on as a family insider. And that's that the headline was that Nygaard attempted to bribe his daughter for the surety uh, for the bail. And I'm going I'm to tell you why this actually brings a little smile to my face. And I've been around a world of darkness. Okay. So just forgive me for having a little bit of light <laughs> in this situation with the smile. But it's mind-blowing how dumb of a move that was because he, his calls were being monitored, okay? Now, he asked my sister, who I only found out was my sister a few years ago, all right? This is just normal in Nygaard world with the kids. Find out you got a new brother or sister or whatever. I know there's going to be others that are going to pop up somewhere around the corner, right? So this sister goes and she moves up to Winnipeg from her home. I'll, I'll be very vague because her identity wasn't used. So I don't want to be the one to do that. And uh, she's in Canada. She's in Nygaard world. She's probably trying to figure him out because uh, when you first start dealing with him, you don't get the horrible version. You get the charismatic making you promises version and uh that's that's what you know so in canada the way it works is it's not exactly a bail uh for money kind of thing they use this process the system called sureties and what that essentially means and i'm i'm just going off of what i've read so i'm not the expert on this but um is that essentially they want you to connect with the community they want community members to say to vouch for you they want someone to say you know what uh, I vouch for him. I'll put my house on the line. Uh, if they if they do something wrong, you guys take my house and I will help watch him, right? That's what they want. So he couldn't get anybody. He couldn't get uh, his family. He couldn't get his executives. He couldn't get any of these people to do the surety. So he's in jail after the first bail denial, which I think was in like mid-January. He calls his daughter that's up there. And he makes a proposal. Now, the irony is, and the thing that makes me smile about this, is that she wasn't even eligible to be a surety. She wasn't eligible because she wasn't a Canadian citizen. So he made this call thinking she was eligible, but incriminated himself by doing it. And what he did was he, he, he basically offered to put this million dollar home that they had purchased, which is this point of contention about who owns the home. And it's just been this fiasco of him trying to pretend who owns the home. But so he he dangles that in front of her, says, I will uh, sign over this house to you. And you have to sign an affidavit that says that you believe I'm innocent of all these charges is what he tried to get her to do. And then she sort of, I guess, considered it. And then came back and was like, hey, uh, dad, I don't think this is exactly legal. You're not supposed to 
do it like that. And I'm not a Canadian citizen and I can't really do it. And then he asked her if her, if her cousin, who I guess, I don't know, um, she, she knows or she hangs out with who's in Winnipeg, who is someone that I'm actually very suspicious of in this whole thing. I think he's been named as a, uh, I don't know for sure if it was this person, but all the cousins I'm, I'm actually got some questions about. But um, so uh, he asked his cousin and, and the cousin says no. And then the RCMP, the Royal Mounted, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, interview her and they have this conversation recorded, I think, because it was on the prison phone. And now he's applying for bail, but he has this bribe. And now that's made headlines. And get this, one of my sisters called me and said he tried to bribe her as well with the million dollar home. And then I found out another sibling he tried to bribe with a He's trying to bribe everybody with this million dollar home. And he doesn't seem to understand that it doesn't work that way. And it would never work that way. And his lawyers must be just trying to figure out. I mean, they're getting the check every week. So I guess that's okay. But who's writing the check? I mean, it, this is what's going on. This is my world right now. And uh, you tell me, man. But he, he basically put his foot in his mouth in a big way um, for no reason. And uh, I don't think he'll get bail uh, on, on that alone. That alone should not give you bail, let alone the fact that he's got a television and a phone and the rest of it. So there we are with that. So if you're a billionaire, you've got your own island in the Bahamas, tax evasion is probably high on your priority list, moving assets around the world in various names, setting up company, hiding things, yeah, uh, money laundering, you know, if you've got that much money, I imagine you would have kind of seen trouble was coming on the horizon and you would have got your tax lawyers and your financial advisors, sit them down and say, look, we've got to spread all this around the world in these accounts, these names, Switzerland, Asia, whatever. So don't you think he would have had the foresight to have a plan like that and he would be drawing on those assets now to pay these legal bills? Well, so what happened was, is that in the last bail hearing, a lot of this key information is coming out in the bail hearings because of these affidavits, right? They have to talk about it. So the receiver, um, long story short, because we're limited on time and the whole thing, but basically he got all his Canadian assets seized. Okay. He still had USA assets. He was claiming that those USA assets weren't his. Okay. He has people running those companies that hold the assets that are all named as co-conspirators. All right. Uh, the three big names that keep coming up are Greg Fenske, who's in there, Angela Dyborn, who's my cousin, and then Tina Tulacorpi, who's his, was like his right-hand person. Those names are, are coming up a lot. They were, they just came up in the um, CBC did a special on uh, evil by design <clears throat> on enablers and those names came up. So I'm not talking out of line by just stating the public knowledge of this. And, and uh, so if you look at the companies that are controlling the assets, those names are on the paperwork. Okay. And um, it came up in the bail hearing that they said that those two companies 
which their names are called Edsons and Browse, the U.S. authorities said that they had liquidated $70 million worth of assets um, recently. And my whole thing was after April 20th, and it turned into a 57 women's suit, and you could see this was not a conspiracy by the neighbor about Bahamas people, but this was stemming back 40 years and had nothing to do with any conspiracy because it's everyone. Um, wherever Nygaard went is where <laughs> the rapes uh, were reported. And uh, so after that 57 women's suit, I personally don't feel from an ethics perspective, it makes a lot of sense to be connected to Nygaard companies. I believe that everyone, whether it's family members, myself included, or other uh, executives that have worked for him for a long time should all not profit from this whole situation. Uh, I think profiting off of any of this is already should be out the window. Once you find out about rape and pedophilia and stuff, we all have to just stop and, and take a step back. And um, so I think this question of the $70 million is not only is it's a question of ethics of how are you even going to be involved connected to this or is that money being protected for Nygaard because he shouldn't be profiting that shouldn't be his money that's not his hard-earned money that's built on lies and rape and deception that's actually needs to go back to the uh uh healing process uh whether it's uh, ptsd treatments or you know the civil attorneys need to be paid because they've been working their butts off for two years three years uncovering all this sometimes even more at their own expense, the the U.S. authorities probably need something because they they arrest them. They've launched this huge investigation that costs money, and uh, and previous debts. I mean, there are all these debts that have come up. So there's a lot of damage that needs to happen. It's certainly people should not be, let's say, buying a new house or putting money in their personal bank account or any of that kind of stuff. So um, and then paying for his big expensive lawyers and legal team and we just there's so many questions because you don't know who where's this money coming from because somebody's supporting him so punchline is is 70 million dollars they're saying is controlled by uh, accused co-conspirators and accused enablers um that's the information that we're going off of because that was what was told in the uh, bail hearing and um there's just a lot of questions right now about is the, is the criminal in jail with the getaway car taking off kind of thing? What's going on with the money? What's going on with the people that were helping him? And the people that were named, again, man, I wish they would just call the authorities, you know, cooperate with the investigation and figure this out because we're not, we're, we're talking about rape, guys. So um, that's where we're at right now with the situation. And, uh, the headlines that were just made six days ago, that's the insight behind them is bribing the kids, failed bribe attempt, busted for it, and unprecedented VIP conditions at Heatingly Correctional Center. But I'm hoping maybe that was a part of the bail uh, process to just keep him on house arrest. They're gonna be a, there's gonna be a decision coming up here very soon about whether or not he's gonna get bail for house arrest. And it feels like it's going to be almost a certain no, but you just never know, do you? 
We've had a few questions come in then. Ray J has asked what the media perspective is of you, whether they're giving you a hard time in any way. And the other question that's come in is how old were you when you became aware of his crimes? Sure. So uh, being aware of his crimes, I was 37, 36. This was 2019, May of 2019. You have to remember is that the lifestyle that Peter Nygaard had was seemingly transparent and public. He did not have any criminal charges against him. He did not even have uh, the, the most you could find on him was sexual harassment from the mid nineties. Uh, like, I think there were three cases that got settled out of court um, for like $20,000. So, and then you're looking at him online and it's this PR machine of, you know, he got the key to the city of Winnipeg by the mayor at the time, Sam Cates, who's come under a bunch of questions of his relationship with Nygaard now. Um, he, he was getting all kinds of awards. And when I was around him, whenever I would be around him, you know, a very structured time, structured environment. So for example, if I was in Los Angeles and he was in Los Angeles and, uh, and I, there was a time where I was living at the Los Angeles compound, there's like three or four different buildings though there. So I had my own entrance and exit. And my whole deal was if he's in town, which was two or three months out of the year, the only times I really saw him, my deal was I'm his volleyball partner. So I would go out and play volleyball with him from basically six to eight o'clock and maybe pop up for a quick dinner, wouldn't stick around and I'm out of there. Um, so everyone had like limited exposure and he's ruling with an iron fist. So if you did question something, he comes down super hard on you, but it wasn't like this big rape situation. I'd never heard the, even the word rape until, um, until the civil suit like really hit. And I was able to read formal accusations. So he's done a good job of hiding things. And he's also, you find out that he had people to help him. And that's what makes me mad too, because I find out the property managers in LA, they're listed as co-conspirators. And this is why the people, the survivors that are talking to the civil attorneys, they're saying the names of the people that should have known something or did know something in their opinion about whatever happened to them. So to answer that question, it, it was May of 2019, but also it wasn't like I was just hanging out with him. I grew up with my mom. I didn't start seeing him until I was really 21 when I moved into Marina. But even then it was three months out of the year and it was at a limited capacity. And I worked with him more on like business or philanthropic types of projects. Um, so I didn't party with him or hang out with him in his, in his private life very much at all. Um, you know, I might've danced in a club with them at the same time once or twice, but that's about it. So, right. um, so that's that. Uh, what was the other question, Sean? So we've got about one minute left. Um, okay. He asked if the media is giving you a high, hard time. Any journalists? No, uh, at, at first the media had a lot of questions at first people had a lot of questions, but as more and more has been revealed uh, about uh, my role or uh, the truth of the situation. I've actually been treated very well by the media who have um, strongly supported the fact that, uh, that I've been uh, played an instrumental role in his basically his arrest and uh, the investigation and that there's zero people out there saying that I had any knowledge or anything like that. So um, I'm coming, coming out on the other side of this and uh, just looking to 
clean up the house in Nygaard however I can and uh, clean up the old, old backyard here and, and, and fight for truth and justice. That's, that's all we can do. We appreciate that. And you are very active on Twitter. Your links are in the description box below this video. So go over to Twitter and support Kai. Is there anywhere else you would like people to support you? I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, Kai Zenbickle. And um, you can also check out evil by design podcast. That was on the CBC. Uh, they do a good job of covering the Nygaard stuff. If you're interested, I was episode seven flesh and blood. And then there was the unseemly, documentary on discovery plus uh, i'm in episode four the reckoning but um uh, other than that just here to here to help sean however i can so i'm in service and uh in service to really helping these survivors too because it's been such an extraordinarily amount amount of damage that they've had to go through and just doing what i can to help and these extraditions can take a very long time, like you said earlier. So I'm sure there's going to be breaking news surrounding court hearings, etc. So, yeah, we would absolutely love to get you back on if you're available. We appreciate you spending this time with us, Kai. You're very welcome. And Ash does a great job for you, as you know. So Yes, he does. <laughs> all right. You guys take care. Thank you for your good work, Sean. And to all the people following you who really care about truth, justice, information, and discovery, I salute you. Oh, thank you very much as well. Cheers. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. We now have Ryan Dawson. Let's get him on. Ryan, admit. Here we go. Absolute viewer favorite. All-time viewer favorite. He's up there in the top five, I reckon. And um, if you remember last week, Ryan was focusing on his Epstein map, but we ran out of time. So we're going to pick up where we left off. I think I can hear you, Ryan. Just got to get your video going. Yes, go. I see it. There he is. There he is. Let's see. Oh, I know what's going on. Hold on. Three seconds. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Oh, I should take a deep breath, man. Kai is uh, is the man. He right. is, isn't he? Yeah, he's just got such a good energy about him as well. Oh, I don't know how you do that, man. <laughs> All these survivors. After everything you've been through and what you're going through now, psychologically, to, to come across with that big smile, it takes some strength. Is it? Let's see. Yeah. I had a program that was using my video, and then um, I turned that off. Oh, there it is. Okay. There you good. are. Good to see you. I'm, I'm more nervous about tech than I am doing interviews. Like, oh, I'm not worried about content. I'm worried about is everything going to work? <laughs> Who's the cockroach? Oh, well, this is Maria Farmer's uh, latest. You know what it is. <laughs> this is Dershowitz, obviously. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to um, put this up to the camera for a second. I thought Maria I changed Fowler, the mood. Maria I mean, Fowler's it's very serious with the Nygaard, and we've done two interviews on that too. But I was going to open with a joke, but uh, so I'm, this is how you deal with these people. So Maria Farmer <laughs> has just nailed it. And look, look, can you read that sign? Is this is that? People, I don't know if that's. People. Here, I'll just, it, says, it says penal <laughs> ligament true to scale. And you got to really zoom in to see that. <laughs> Ligament true to scale. Oh, 
Yeah. ED. Oh, I, I, I only I sleep with my wife. Um. <laughs> oh, she's been just cranking out dank art. It's awesome. Um, bless her. If she's watching, I have uh, I've got a map. I'd love for her to paint or, you know, throw some heads on. I think it'd be great. Um, but yeah, it's, I was going to do something more lighthearted. So that, I think that's great. Durstwich has a cockroach. And then you can see where it's got Sarah and Virginia on the legs. Um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> dark humor is how you, how you deal with this. I sent that to Norman Finkelstein too, because he and Dershowitz are hate each other. So yeah. <laughs> and if people, if people are on Twitter at Maria Farmer, um, we usually have the link in the description box. I'll, I'll get it in there, but she has, been tweeting her art recently she was had some downtime but now she's back getting active again so you know she's fighting uh, cancer so yeah yeah power power to her as well she's, she's done so well and her and virginia and the, the, going through the cancer man i can't imagine going through everything that they've been through i hope they watch these and and, and see what we've got uh so I don't remember what we left off on last time, but we left off on Epstein enablers on the Epstein map. Oh, this, oh, the, the, I'm glad cheap plug <laughs> the Epstein map. Yes. Uh, that map is, would be hours and hours to go through. I think I'd gone through sort of uh, the John Kasich and John McCain connections with Weaver and the Lincoln project. We went through OSU, Abigail Wexter, and a bunch of foundations where they're doing money laundering. And we were touching on the Keaton Five SNL scandal. All right, it's coming back to me. I got it now. But um, I just want to pull something up from the calendar. We have a nice calendar, Japanese models here. And because the other day, it was just the 22nd, which is 322, special number for these weirdos. But that happened to be the same day that Moshe Katsev was arrested or sentenced for two counts of rape. And that was the president, the eighth president of Israel. And he, he was slapped with both rape and sexual harassment. He was entered into a plea bargain. And then for some reason, because he thought he could beat it, he withdrew. Uh, and he was found guilty. And he did go to jail. He served five years out of seven Apparently, if you're a president, you only get five years for two counts of rape. But he did go to prison and he, he served under three different prime ministers, Ahud Barak, Ahud Omar, and Ariel Sharon. And I know you recognize two of those names for being, for being in, well, I say the Maxwell book, but we could say Epstein's little black book. But I'm, I'm kind of suspicious that that was actually hers rather than his. But either way doesn't matter he shouldn't be in there yeah who was it that told us that that he brought the money and she brought the connections it's her so most, most of the too, connections were hers mm -hmm. yeah well andrew's in there so many times he is the kevin bacon of pedophiles and uh that's actually a quote on on this calendar is um <laughs> I think it's July. It says Prince Andrew is the Kevin Bacon of pedophiles. <laughs> he People, knew Nygaard too, that we, you, who if, you're just talking about. If you, want to get, if you want to get one of Ryan's maps, he is 
he will take a donation for a map, I believe, because he says he didn't want just people to give him money. He wants to give them something back. I don't mind uh, people giving me money, but yeah, if you want to get it, if it's you know above a certain amount, we'll send you a map, and doesn't matter where you are in the world. And we have a promo code, Patrick, since it's also the month for St. Patrick, and that'll get you a little bit off. So maps, calendars, whatever you want to buy. I'd rather you get something. This whole calendar is is like a this day in history type of thing, except we tell the truth. So it's got everything from like, you know, these pedophile rings to the civil wars on this calendar. A lot of things, the neocons, 9-11, all that's on there. People are always asking for that. Um, I'm actually a historian more than a researcher. I do a lot of work on the American Civil War, Revolutionary War and things. So it's all on there, maps on there. And we need it because I've been censored on everything. I lost my YouTube for I have 15 years and I five-time champion getting banned there. Can't get it back. I was just kicked off of Facebook two days ago. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the raceaholics went after me because um, unfortunately there was a shooting in the U.S. This guy went and shot um, a bunch of uh, massage workers. And of course, uh, the the raceaholics made it all about race because the shooter was white and most of the victims were Asian. So I just didn't see, I was like, isn't the murder the issue here more than, you know, the ethnic group of the perpetrator or whatever. So I pointed out when an Asian guy in Virginia Tech shot about 25 white people, nobody in the media made it about race. It was about a lunatic, which is what it was about. And I just, I hate it because they're creating a panic. They're trying to make people afraid like there's systemic racism everywhere and you can't go outside and it's just nonsense. You're safe. There is not a, you know, a, a pandemic against the Asian race by the white race. I mean, that's ridiculous. It was an isolated incident by one maniac that went and shot people because he was a sex addict. So he attacked sex workers. Mm. That's all it was. And, but, you know, truth is against the community standards on Facebook. So got banned for that, but. And we'll, we'll put Ryan's links in the description box below the video if you do want the map or if you want to go down and support him on whatever socials he has left, <laughs> which aren't yeah, very lots, many. Lots of little maps. This is, uh, ANC this is the new one on McCain, right? This is nice, clean one there. And this one is on the Biden crime syndicate. Uh, and these are all free. These little maps are just on the website because I think visuals, a lot of people are visual learners and these will really help you get your head around it some people ask me how do you know all those dates and names and things and well i know the epstein names and dates because i've been researching it now 14 years but it does help to have something to look at even i've discovered stuff on my own map a little aha moment going oh it was right in front of me there it is so it's a nice one to have and that that helps me my family my employees i really had the rug pulled out from under me with uh losing youtube it's um because i'd already been banned on twitter and everything else instagram i'm not allowed on anything and uh because i have a dedicated group of haters that just go after me i'm like okay i'm i'm opposed to war and i'm opposed to racism and i'm opposed to pedophilia so obviously i'm a terrible person but uh that's what they do they do not we're messing with billionaires here and I, i'll name them i don't say vague stuff like the globalist or the elite or whatever i tell you their name their company what they did and you get flack when you're over the target so i really appreciate you allowing me on your show and, and risking it all because you know 
what I'm gonna do, you know, I'm gonna name everybody. So. <laughs> so you're saying you're not you're not proud of the Western countries, the richest countries in the world, bombing the shit out of the poorest countries in the world and calling all the murder collateral damage. Well, it's also it relates to these pedophile rings too, because when you uh, for example, some of the things that Epstein and Maxwell were doing that's uh, I don't know. It's not brushed under the rug, but because of the huge white collar crimes and all the pedophilia, they often forget about how they were uh, bribing different African despots and dictators. That's what uh, Patrick Ho got jailed for at MCC with Epstein. They were together um, because a couple of them turned them down. But they, you know, what happens is when you export bombs, as they did in Libya, as they're doing in Syria, and also all these intentionally uh, structured design to wipe out economies, predatory loans, transfer pricing, and so on. You're creating conditions of workers starve in places like Sudan and Yemen. And what happens is men turn to mercenary work and women turn to prostitution because it's, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And so these wars in on top of obviously all the mass murder and uh, theft of property and and maiming is also creating conditions for uh, human trafficking and that's the breeding ground for these pedophile rings oh it, there's a tsunami or in haiti and we're going to go grab a bunch of kids oh there's a an ongoing war in the congo or in sudan then we're going to go grab a bunch of kids and i'm going to get caught grabbing kids coming out of haiti and i'm worked for the clintons Oh well, yes. There's a there's a nice book about that. You may have heard of it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> speaking of Clintons, <laughs> there's not a name you can't say that we can't segue to. But you know, I opened this up talking about Moshe Katsev. Now, I think it was good on Israel, and you won't hear me say this much, uh, that they actually convicted him and threw him in prison. You know, he was he did rape a woman twice in 1998. It did take almost eight years. And then he was sexually harassing his own employees, much like uh, Michael Steinhardt and others on the map. But he do was you know convicted. Do you know the circumstances of that assault? The assault or the rape? I'm just, I'm just, euf I'm just euphemizing. Different. I'm euphemizing with assault to try and... Oh, keep, well, keep, yeah. Oh, I get it. Yes, yes. Happier. Well, there was, there was actually an assault, too. Oh, like, there was? Okay. Uh, there was actually, like, this kind of assault. Yeah. So... Yeah, it was um, it was a woman that uh, he abused. I forgot we're on YouTube. He abused in a hotel in Jerusalem for an event. He used to be the transportation secretary before he was the president. And he had also abused her in uh, in her own office. Mm. So at two different occasions, he he did that and other women. Uh, you know, brought it up, but the, the conviction was on the one that he did it to twice. And then uh, on top of that, there were some other lesser sexual harassments and abuse on China. Sanitize my language is hard. <laughs> but yeah, he, they nailed him. And, you know, he went to prison. It was a, there was a funny moment because there was a there's a Jewish holiday where they actually allowed um, 
uh, Ehud Omart and Moshe Katsev and Rabbi Yoshi Yahoo Pinto, who we talked about before, all got out of the same jail on the same day for three days of like supervised, you know, holiday. <laughs> and it's like you got a former prime minister and a president and a very prominent rabbi all in jail. Omert went to jail for fraud, though, not for pedophilia. And the rabbi also went to jail for uh, obstruction of justice, fraud, bribery, you know, the classics. And Netanyahu's in trouble for that, too. And uh, but these three prime ministers all had uh, Moshe Katsev as their president. He was president from 2000 to 2007. And so and he just barely missed uh, Netanyahu by months uh, if he could have stayed in there longer. But. You know, they're in, all in Maxwell's books and Ahud Barak, who is just a butcher, by the way, like aside from the Epstein and Mark Rich and all the things that he's involved in there, just what he did to Palestine and Lebanon is disgusting on its own. But to add a little cherry onto that, he was in the Black Book and he was pictured outside of the main, we'll call it abuse mansion that Epstein lived in in New York with his stupid fuzzy hat and all that. And he also admitted that he had gone to Pato Island, but he said, oh, I went there once and I had my wife and kids with me. Like that matters. Um, <laughs> what What are you doing there, dude? You're the prime minister of his state and you're just, oh, I'm just gonna go to this random private island of Jeffrey Epstein for what, right? He did business with him after Epstein had been jailed the first time. So you knew he was raping kids and he went into a business venture with him anyway with a reporty slash carbine. He had a an Israeli company called Sum, S-U-M, uh, E-B, and that's where he they funneled money through that into reporty to buy it, which is a media outfit. So he in the but on top of all that, uh, he was witnessed by neighbors going to because Epstein had more than just his regular rape mansion across from Bill Cosby. He had other properties where a lot of these things went on. They're all and a lot of them he got from his brother. Mark Epstein was the realtor for some of these things. That doesn't mean he knew what was happening in them. But, you know, I'm just saying that's where a lot of the groomers were housed and stuff. But there was a certain maybe you heard of it, uh, you know, floor 14 hotel where Barack had been witnessed dozens of times on that Epstein property. And there's only one thing that ever went on there. And the guy's such a fool because he's got all the security detail with him everywhere he goes. So it's not hard to know when he's in town and what he's doing, but these aren't the brightest people. I mean, that's, uh, that's been proven. These are the kind of people that wrap the phones in tinfoil. <laughs> it's, I mean, this is what you're dealing with you now. Ahud Barak was also, I know I pronounced that with a T, but their T and K is kind of similar, but we'd say Barack, I guess, kind of like, it sounds like Barack, like Barack Obama, but Ahud Barak. He personally wrote a letter to Bill Clinton to get Mark Rich uh, a pardon, which Clinton did end up doing his last day in office. And Mark Rich, uh, who we talked about back in 2019 or whatever, but he was a a, well, legally, he was a commodities trader. He owned Glencore, uh, which pilfered money from countries like Zambia and copper mining. And he was on Interpol's most wanted list for like a decade. He, he was a fugitive until Clinton gave him the pardon uh, for 
tax evasion and for illegally trading with Iran during the embargo, um, selling weapons to South Africa, all kinds of things. Like the guy is a real Boris Berezovsky mafioso type of dude. Boris, by the way, um, his death anniversary was yesterday. So that's another one to celebrate, but Clinton gives him the pardon. And then Mark Rich's wife finances Hillary's campaign when she was becoming a senator, uh, which was successful. Funny that she did that in New York of all places, right? Like uh, that's not where she's from. And they had lived in Arkansas in the intermediary, but she runs in New York because that's where most of their criminal friends were. But uh, I heard Barack is writing that and Clinton did it. And he wasn't the only one to, um, to pressure him to do this. But I should point out one more thing about Rich. His lawyer was Louis Libby, who's a lawyer for the Mossad, who is also Dick Cheney's chief of staff. And his real name is Louis Leibowitz. And he's involved with the Plame Affair. George Bush, the lesser, commuted his sentence. And then Donald Trump gave him the full pardon. And Mark Rich has, had admitted before he died that he personally financed Mossad operations. And if the Mossad is getting operations financed by a private billionaire, you know what that means. Like it was so bad, whatever they're doing, that even the Knesset wouldn't sign off on it. Like even the Israeli government was like, we can't officially know about this. You know, they didn't care, but they're like, we're, we're not touching that. So they did it through Mark Rich. I mean, this guy is the, a criminal criminal and Clinton just gave him a pardon and he gave his business partner a pardon too, Pincus Green, who is, you know, Mark Rich Jr. basically. And he's still alive and still at large. Uh, and they worked with Russian oligarchs and all this, you know, worldwide criminal enterprises. And on the map, I put a couple, I put a couple organizations on there that I'm not even going to say on YouTube but you can just type that in and, and, and bring a barf bag with you because it's human trafficking, it's organ trafficking, it's all the, yeah, the worst things you can imagine. And, and Pincus is not even, not even charged with anything anymore. And that's, that's the power of a presidential pardon. It's like, it doesn't matter what you did for how many decades, how many people you hurt and abused, you're pardoned now. And they just bought one. And this is one of the things I believe because uh, everybody knows that Bill Clinton was on the Epstein Islands. Well, what is it exactly that he was blackmailed to do? Like, oh, they're blackmailing Clinton. Well, you can't just generally say, well, for favorable policies for Israel or whatever, because every president does that anyway. Uh, what specifically like really crossed the line? Well, pardoning Rich was one. The other two things were choosing James Woolsey and George Tenet to be the head directors of the CIA. Because the Woolsey one never made any sense. Clinton hated him, didn't talk to him the whole two years he was there. Wouldn't have meetings with him. He just did it because he had to do it. And that's the guy that started the, uh, the lie about anthrax in Iraq and associating Iraq to 9-11. And I won't, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, I can go on 9-11, but we'll just leave that on the side. But that's the guy. And that's what was very important to them and what, what they were pushing Clinton into doing. So I think it's very important to know not only who's being blackmailed, but okay, what did what is it they needed him to do? And clearly something was twisting his arm to get him to hire Woolsey. And then we know Lewinsky was in there as well, another honey trap. So Clinton was blackmailed six ways to Sunday. And they knew that. They knew that before 
before he was governor. They knew what an easy target he was. They knew what his, his weak point was. And so they got him. And uh, yeah, and they got his wife. <laughs> yeah, she got money from Nexium. And you'd think she ran for president twice. That never came up. Her work, you know, the bestiality in Haiti and all the Clinton murders and, you know, the Nexium cult giving her money. Why? Why was this hidden? Right. You could the media could trash her. They could have trashed Trump on, on as much as the media hated Trump. All right. But they didn't bring up his past with Bob Labuti and the mob or any of that stuff. They just, it was all ridiculous identity politics and things like right? they don't inform you because there's no way to tell on him for that without telling on themselves at the same time. And there's no way to go after Clinton without also exposing themselves at the same time. So both parties cannot say anything about the other because it's like, well, you're coming with me. Right. That's how tight the system is and how sick and deep it goes. It goes all the way to the top. So it's not just uh, the Israeli prime ministers and presidents, it's American presidents and congressmen and speakers of the house uh, currently. That's how far it goes down that rabbit hole. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna pause Ryan here. <laughs> Ryan goes deep, he is so thorough. I've been going over some of the previous interviews I've done with Ryan for um, my book on Epstein and it's just reading it without actually interviewing just reading it and just absorbing what he's saying my mind's just been blown all over again so what we're going to do is now the first hour on youtube is over i'm going to tell ryan the next question i'm going to ask for him so he's got time to think about it because we're going to pick up on patreon in about five minutes or so so my next question for ryan is going to be regarding the clinton and commodities then Hillary Clinton made a $2,000 investment within a very short period of time. It was worth six figures. So I'm going to ask for Ryan's perspective on that when we go over to Patreon. And if you are going to support us and go over to Patreon, the link is in the description box below the video. I'm going to ask the moderators to put the link in the live chat right now. If you go for Patreon two or three, you will get full access every week for hour two, hour three, of Atwood Unleashed, as well as other perks, which you could check out when you click that link. So these videos, the Atwood Unleashed, to have you know six to eight guests per evening. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people involved putting this together. So a huge thank you. Uh, the Patreons are almost at 500 right now. It's, it's grown at a record amount. Huge thank you for you guys enabling us to keep this quality content coming out every week and, and of course you know what we can put back on youtube we will um so those links are down there we're going to sign out now thanks again ryan for coming on we urge people to support you as well and your links and get the map so for the people who are with us prior to us moving over here but you may have heard the last question was about Hillary Clinton's 2000 investment that magically turned into six figures almost overnight. <laughs> What's, what was your interpretation of that? You know, is this even unusual for this crowd? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what, what I was saying, uh, right, right, right before, before you even asked you that, I didn't even know you were going to ask me that. But before you asked me that, I was talking about Denise Rich, Mark Rich's wife that was financing her Senate campaign. 
And some of the other, some of the other crap that Hillary did there was, you know, they were selling like White House furniture and stuff. And she did book <laughs> signings for, you know, $800,000 for a signed book, you know, and it's just like, who pays that? Oh, it's just a way of getting around campaign finance laws is all it was. So it, one hour speech, you got a million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, let's give me talk to the Carlisle group or something and get a quarter million dollars for a half hour intro of whatever, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So I, I don't even know why we have these laws. Like they blatantly, you know, dance around them all the time. And when someone does get busted for campaign finance, you know, something illegal, it's like, damn, you know, uh, the Kushner's got in trouble for that. The reason Car Charles Kushner went to jail was he kept setting up all these dummy corporations and donating to Mark McGreevy because he had the governor of New Jersey compromised with a uh, homosexual honey trap. And uh, the only reason he went down is he was like running out of employees to set him up under and he used his brother and his sister and it, they wanted more of a cut. So because of the infighting between Murray Kushner and Charles Kushner <laughs> and, and Mirren Kushner is the only reason uh, they, and he blackmailed his own sister, uh, set up a honey trap on his own brother-in-law, took a, a hooker to the uh, Red Bull Inn, like a two-star motel. Cause that's, you know, real classy for a billionaire and um, filmed him having sex and she didn't care. She's like, whatever, you're going to jail. He did. He hired white collar criminals while he was in prison. Then his son ends up being the president's, you know, married into the family of the guy that ends up becoming president. So whatever. And they put Jared in charge of Middle East peace process. Like, wow, Jared Kushner, who has Netanyahu sleeping at his house. You know, the prime minister of Israel sleeps in his house. You think he's going to have an even hand on the Israel-Palestine affair? Har, har, right? <laughs> How much no, money and power is enough for these people? It's like endless. It's it's it is the power thing because like at a certain point, what are you competing for? The Ford's list or something? A lot of them try and hide how much money they have actually because they don't want to pay the taxes on it. The but, smart ones do. Yeah, they there's the real smart ones aren't in the limelight. They don't do the John Gotti thing, right? I don't you see know. the Queen on Forbes's richest list. Well, that's the thing too. You don't see religious organizations on there either because they're not technically not companies, but they, you know, the Catholic Church is pulling in about a trillion. You know, there are things with that with tax free, by the way. And um, those are businesses, in my opinion. It's not like they're, it's a mixed bag. Like, obviously, there are theological, sincere religious institutions, but there are also a lot more that it's just, money you know it's, all, it's like collecting with a religious theme that's all it is so. i had a friend in prison, i had a friend in prison on a lawsuit against the catholic church he was molested by a priest and he was showing me that in the legal discovery for the diocese of tucson arizona all the assets that the catholic church had and it was like almost a house on every street these people who believed that give the church this house and they're going to buy a place in heaven or the church says, come and join our care home. And you could pay for that by signing over your house. It is so shady. The stuff they've got going on. That, well, not to open another can of worms, but the Catholic church and the narco traffic in a lot of Latin America is more than a religious relationship. But I'll just, 
we'll put that over there too. I'll never get <laughs> done. Oh, yeah. but... in, in, in my research of Escobar, they were doing more services to the patent saints of the traffickers than they were doing services to Jesus Christ because the traffickers were just throwing all this money at the priests. Well, they use missionary work as a, and I'm not saying there isn't real missionary work, but there's also the kind that just claims to be missionary work. And it's a, just a way, an easy visa in and out of places of moving kids around. So, and drugs. It's, and yeah, and guns. And yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, something I forgot to mention about Ariel Sharon, the butcher. I have uh, several mp3 podcasts on when he died i just went through all his crimes so if anybody wants to hear it uh that's on my website but he interestingly enough shared a senior staff member with ahud omar the guy that's in maxwell's black book that was jailed for fraud at and this guy's name was oren magjinzi and guess where he writes and and guess what he's a fellow for the wexner foundation he wrote up like an obituary for Sharon and he's an alumni of the Wexner Israel fellowship. Of course. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, Wexner is going to keep, just keep popping up. There was a guy that um, in like three interviews, I only just said his name and said he was part of the mega group, but we haven't really given him enough love slash hate. I think we hammered Wexner enough. Well, not enough. We, we hammered him some and we hammered the Bronfen family and I think I talked about Schottenstein last time but Michael Steinhardt hasn't has just sort of gone in passing and if I could I'd like to spend uh, today you know going through this character because no one's talking about him other than yeah he's up for sexual harassment he's part of mega this guy is um for people as are, bad as for people who are, who are kind of new to the, the depth of the research that you've done, Ryan. Could you just explain what the mega means? Mega is short for mega donors. It is a group of um, Jewish Zionists from Canada and the US mostly. that set up a, an, an organization that was actually a clone of a prior organization that was involved in human trafficking and smuggling weapons that, into Palestine to create the Israeli state with like Abba Hillel Silver and, and Rabbi Friedman and these people. Uh, from the Sunborn Institute. That's how Israel got the bomb. And that's a whole story in itself. But sort of the junior organization of that is the mega group with uh, Spielberg, Steinhardt, uh, Les Wexner, the Bronfmans. There's a list. It's all I've listed all the people on the website. Um, and the mega donors, it's a way of controlling politicians through financing and obviously blackmail and bribery, we're finding out. So um, bribery is nothing new. Blackmail is a bit nastier because bribery is a crime in and of itself. But blackmail means that is a crime and it means there has to be another crime that they're being blackmailed about. And it turns out much of it is uh, sexual deviancy because it's hard. There's really nothing a politician can do. You, know, you can support war, starvation, murdering people. It doesn't matter. But you fuck the wrong person or you say something racist, those are the only two things that'll take you down, right? So those are the people they compromise and promote on purpose because they're controllable. And this clique is completely run by hardcore Zionist Israeli first or neocon types. Uh, so these aren't just like businessmen that are Democrats or Republicans or something. These people are 
steadfast agents of Israel. They're involved in all the major Israeli friends groups and philanthropy with, you know, quotes around it groups. The Wexter Foundation, the Wexter Heritage Foundation, the United um, Jewish Appeal, United Israel Appeal, the financial, the Foundation Council. They keep changing names and stuff. Um, Edgar Bronfman's the head of the World Jewish Congress, which is a weird thing to even exist. I don't know any other ethnic group that has a Congress, but the the only people that view, uh, see, I think Judaism is a religion, and only two groups, to quote Greg Felton, feel like Jewishness is a race, and that's Zionists and Nazis. To everyone else, it's if you're a Christian, you're a Jew, you're a Muslim. It's not. It's a religion. It's not a um, biological thing. It's an ideological thing. But to these people. It's a biological thing. Now, I disagree with that, but they themselves feel uh, a sense of ethnic nepotism and believe that Israel has to be a Jewish state. And by that, they mean racial. And there's DNA uh, tests. Maria, 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 Maria Farmer confirmed that as well. The arrogance, the jokes they were making, the superiority complex. Rothschild's one of her best friends. That, fam that family is in the the group above the mega group the, there's only one thing above the mega group and uh but the mega anyway is the current problem and uh because this the shadow the the sunborn and all those people i'll i'll circle back to that to answer your question because we only have half hour <laughs> is is mega and so the mega donors have been there and they've even been referenced like when APAC was caught spying again on the United States and Patrick Fitzgerald was doing an investigation of them. Keith Wiseman uh, and, Steve, and, and Rosen were two spies that were being uh, investigated by Congress, by, by the Justice Department. And one of their underlings, Lawrence Franklin, he ended up getting nailed for a dozen years in jail. And these people were basically trying to drive policy to start a war between the United States and Iran and still are. They got their war in Iraq and that war, the leftist trope is uh, oil. That's bullshit. The U.S. did not go to war in Iraq because of oil. The U.S. already had Iraqi oil in the oil for food program. Their exports went to zero during the war. And after the war, China ends up getting the Iraqi oil. They are their largest importer. And before the war, they got no imports from Iraq. So if you're going to say they're going to steal the oil and then didn't get it or to prevent China from getting oil, the exact opposite happened. But one country gets 77% of its oil imports from Iraq, and that's Israel. So if you're going to say it's about oil, it was, but not American oil. It was Israeli oil. And it's Israelis that lied us in the war. They made up the crap about anthrax. They made up the crap about aluminum tubes, weapons under the palaces, VX gas, WMDs. That wasn't Bush and Cheney. And it was Richard Pearl. It was Douglas Fife. It was, you know, Michael Ledeen. It was Jewish Zionist neocons that took us to war in Iraq. And the same people that are putting us war in Syria, Libya, our Middle East policy is dictated by Zionists. And the media won't touch it. They've occupied Palestine for 45 years and they won't even mention the house demolitions and settlements and things like that. That is, that's the, what the mega does is like, it ensures that Israel does whatever it wants. They're taking trillions of dollars from the United States and these imperial get paid for Israel's interests, not the U S it goes contrary to U S interests to piss off the entire middle East for a parasitical state, but they're doing it 
because they're blackmailed into doing it. And these donors, uh, some from Canada, like the Bronfmans, uh, and some from the United States, like Les Wexner, they are there to bribe and blackmail and to help finance off the books these rings like the Jeffrey Epstein or Nexium. And uh, it's just a big spider web. But if you start peeling off the layers, Claire and Sarah Bronfman help support Nexium and the Clintons, right? Clintons are also flying around with uh, Epstein and going to their island. And then Hillary, of course, is financed by Mark Rich, who gets a pardon by her husband. And Mark Rich is personally, you know, favored by people like Ehud Barak and Michael Steinhardt. Now, Michael Steinhardt is the co-founder of the mega group with Les Wexner. Like within the mega group, Bronfman might have a little bit more money uh, than Steinhardt, just the tad, but I think Steinhardt's hiding a lot. But Wexner and, and Michael Steinhardt are the founders. Those are the two of the top. And then Bronfman and Spielberg and so on. And Steinhardt himself has been brought up on charges of sexual harassment. He's older now, but his own employees have nailed him. He, he was the co-founder of the Taglet Birthright for Israel with Charles Bronfman and, of course, the mega group with Wexner. So you could put Steinhardt right in the middle. He's got Bronfman on this side and he's got uh, Wexner on the other side. And then Bronfman goes into mega, too. So just goes in a triangle, really. I actually made a neat little map like the Star of David because that's just how it ended up going to two triangles. But um, he... Is an interesting guy. Steinhardt was the son of Sol uh, Frankie the Red Steinhardt, who's a prominent figure of the GUVC crime family. And he knew Meyer Lansky. He knew uh, Jimmy Alelio, the guy that started the gang war with Capone and killed Lombardo. And you've probably covered that in all your true crime stuff. But uh, everybody knows Meyer Lansky, I hope. Yeah. I mean, oh, that, yeah, absolutely. He's, yeah, a, he's such a massive figure with the mafia. That part of the Kennedy assassination. So <clears throat> Seoul gave $200,000, and this is like in the 40s, to Michael Steinhardt. That's an enormous amount of money to get him going. So Steinhardt is a hedge fund manager, but his money is coming from people like his father, who was in the mob. He was called the greatest fencer in the, the, in the five families. And he actually went to jail for fencing. He was I forgot how much, but it was jewelry and he was fenced. People offense means when you take like hot goods and stuff and liquidate it into cash. Right. So he was a fence and that's what he went to jail for. But his son ends up getting money from him anyway. And then the other primary investor into his first hedge fund was the same guy that was privately um, financing Mossad operations, Mark Rich. Same guy, same guy, Clinton pardon that we've been talking about. Uh, later, Steinhardt sent uh, Clinton a letter to pardon Rich. So Ahud Barak and Michael Steinhardt both saying, you got to get this guy out. You got to get this guy. And Clinton did it. Um, and I have a, a movie about Mark Rich. Um, it's actually a movie about Africa, but the, Mark Rich is so deeply involved in uh, destroying African lives that like a third of the movies on Mark Rich. And that's on my site if anybody's interested. It is. It's bad. But if you watch that film, you'll understand the the whole operation of, of how they basically destroy a country. And that's what they're doing. And they do the same things in Latin America and in uh, Indochina and so on. So um, I want to talk about a couple other guys uh, with the Steinhardt family. 
One was uh, Ivan Boski. He was a stock manipulator and junk bond scheme. You know, with uh, with your not your buddy, but somebody I think everybody knows with, with uh, Michael Milken. Um, that's up there with like Bernie Madoff as a like, noticeable. Oh, I've heard that one. Right. <laughs> Milken, these, had, um, these had some of the highest incomes ever filed in tax history. Yeah, that's how wealthy these guys were. I think it at the time was other than the the Stanford scandal was the second largest at the time. Um, Stanford, of course, is goes to the Biden crime syndicate, and we can do a whole show on that at a different time. But uh, that oh, here's something. He ran that most of his Ponzi scheme through this bank in uh, in Antigua and St. John's which is the same bank was used again to put in a hundred thousand dollars into Andre Baron Breivik's account, uh, who was the shooter in Norway that shot 72 people out of pro Palestine rally in Norway. That's another thing we can do at another time, but, uh, getting into the junk bond, Michael milk. And I just want to say, cause th- I want to hammer home. This is an Israeli operation. The whole Epstein thing. This is what they do. This guy, gave money to the Zionist Organization of America. And I don't mean thousands, I mean millions. He gave money to the Friends of the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense uh, Force, which is an offense force. And a a British politician, he gave a couple million to a British politician you may have heard of. His name is Tony Blair. (laughs) (laughs) Scumbag. Actually, he gave it to the Tony Blair Faith Foundation, which you know, gave it the Blair. I love how people have been doing citizens arrests for war crimes on Tony Blair over the years. There's a website up about that. You get a reward if you do it, but they say, don't like grab him too quickly or approach him too quickly. Cause his bodyguards will just shoot you dead. Well, <laughs> Tony Blair was a principal architect for getting for Britain's involvement in the second war in Iraq. I remember all that really came out with that speech. He gave weapons of mass destruction fucking pinocchio well they murdered david kelly and the last person he talked to was judith miller who's the principal architect miller is one of the brains miller and pearl are two of the neocons that are like the lanskys of today they actually knew what was going on the feists and and the mark zell and and lieberman and all they're dumb but miller knew what she was doing and it was a serial liar she lied about um the 1993 attacks in the world trade center she lied about the oklahoma city bombing just iraq 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 was the answer every time uh and then she buddied up with kelly because she did study bioweapons wrote a book about it with another uh harpy but anyway tony blair's a piece of shit that's the point uh and, 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 <laughs> and, and people people who want to know more about david kelly we did a long video with norman baker it's on the YouTube channel. I think it's called something like the mysterious or the strange death of Dr. He's David like, Kelly. I'm going to die in the woods. And he did. Norman yeah, Baker's they... got a book out on it too. Oh, really? All right. Yeah. Well, I have to link to that book. I actually yeah. to grab that. It's very, very dark stuff because he would have been able to debunk some of the claims because they actually went and tested for one of the WMDs in question was anthrax and the gas. And, uh, you and I talked about 9/11 before in another show uh, for another for another was it BNT anthrax it was the legal case for the war was that UN resolution 1441 was being violated and that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction and Colin Powell 
goes to the UN with a mock pile of anthrax. So that was the legal justification. And Miller's hands and lies were all over that. And David Kelly threatened to overturn the whole thing and say, hey, there isn't any here. And of course, there wasn't. There weren't even labs. But so he had to go and he, and he died, conveniently suicided. So and Dick Cheney made um, millions through Halliburton. And Kellogg Brown and Root, yeah, uh, Halliburton subsidiary. And his wife was the president of Lockheed Martin. And it, it just, I have a map on all that too. It's old ones. For, oh, it's not. It was on YouTube. I forgot. I forget. I don't have a YouTube. Um, I'll have to repost it. <laughs> I did it on a chalkboard. I, people people would follow me around like, oh, he's doing a chalkboard video. Hooray. Um, we got the five minute warning from Ash. All right. I'll pop out some more on Steinhardt. So in the 90s, uh, Steinhardt Partners. Uh, which is just the, the second hedge fund. It was co-founded with uh, a guy named uh, John uh, Latin Zio. It's Latin Zio, but Zio is the end of his name, which I think is hilarious, who tried to marry a Russian hooker. Um, not the first one. She ended up not doing it, but walked away with like a $279,000 ring. I don't know why a ring is that expensive. It had like an emerald with a ruby inside of it or something, but she considered it, you know, paid it forward. But these guys were in and out with the hookers and we know who's providing them. And he tried to threaten the hooker when she was leaving him. I'm saying, I don't want to call her the hooker, but I forgot her name. But um, she was like, you don't want to do that. I'm high up in the GVC crime syndicate. And she went and told everyone, yeah, he's threatening me with this. Like what an idiot. But we know that Steinhardt's father and other uh, were part of the crime syndicate. It made a lot of money with them. Um, but the biggest crime that's uh, that they we know they did is they tried uh, also in the 90s to corner the market on short-term treasury bonds. And he ended up paying, Michael Steinhardt ended up paying about 75% of $70 million to settle the case with the Security Exchange Commission. And you're like, wow, uh, 75% of 70 million, that's a lot of money. But Steinhardt Partners Co. made about 600 million on their treasury positions. So, all right, 75% of 70 million, but you pull in 600 million. And that this is the a huge problem we have with white collar crime is the penalty is less than the profit. So they just commit the crime and pay the due. The government gets a little slice and then they look away. They don't care. But doing that to treasury bonds affects everyone else. And he's not, nothing happens, right? Like he definitely did that paid to for a settlement with the sec um, partnered with the Solomon brothers who many people know about their building that um, disappeared on September 11th. And just, no, no real consequence, just a little portion that you have to pay, which you can just pull out of the profits you made, you know, on the, on the illegal positions that you made for cornering the market. Uh, he was also partners with Conrad Black of Hollandring that owns the Jerusalem Post with a couple other guys, Richard Pearl <laughs> and Fred Felding, who was George Bush's personal lawyer. You just got a question about Richard Pearl. Um, I, yeah, I hate him. Oh, it's disappeared, actually. <laughs> It's from oh. Tim Wilson, but he asked about Richard Pearl anyway. Can I scroll up and find it? Well, okay. No, it's gone. I'll just... it's gone. So, well, anyway, Richard Pearl was the defense for policy guy in the Pentagon. So there's a 
policy for the Navy, policy for the Air Force, policy for the Army, and then there's just a defense for policy general, which was Pearl. And in that, he had something called the Defense Plan and Guidance uh, Policy Board. And it's a who's who of just Zionist trash. Pearl is the guy that first created Blackwater's biggest contract, you know, Blackwater from Eric Prince, private mercenary firm. They got into Azerbaijan before Iraq was Azerbaijan, where Azerbaijan had a law against having foreign troops on its soil. So Pearl got around that by procuring a private security contractors that happened to walk around with submachine guns and things. And that was Blackwater's first deal. He, I don't know. I'm not going to have time. I can't, I don't want to halfway do Pearl, but yeah, this, we, this, got, this guy, uh, this guy is so bad. I just did a show with um, Tim Kelly, I think it was, and for like an hour, I just, oh no, it was Greg Felton. I just kept, I went in full autism mode on Richard Pearl. He is the worst neocon. Like if you get, if you list them all, like Wolfwood sucks. Yeah, Doug, you know, there, there's so many terrible people, but Richard Pearl is in his own category. There's like Pearl and Hillary are in their own <laughs> world right <laughs> and then you get like maybe mccain definitely the mccain family is in there and and the carries and da, 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 da. but richard pearl is the worst they call him the prince of darkness we're gonna have to we're gonna have to end it here we got chris hansen waiting to come on all right and, y'all, got, um, y'all got me blood fired up mentioning him uh, <laughs> I, I created a holiday like on this calendar that I was showing the whole month of february is hate richard pearl month like every day <laughs> so that next guy, week, there would never week. been a war in Iraq or anything without that guy. That guy is the worst. Sorry. Next week, I'm on the road filming podcast. But Ryan, you're more than welcome to come back. Well, not next week, but the week after. Keep if you want to keep going. Weeks. Yeah, I I love it. I did. The only problem for me is time zones, but um, oh, it's horrible. I appreciate it. it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, if you want to, if you want to create a paywall and get rid of Patreon, I'm happy to give you that for free. Like, because they are going to delete you eventually. Well, I'm hoping not. Let's see what happens. I I've got, I've got this far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So hey, please, I had him until July. <laughs> please, please go down and support what Ryan is doing. Um, the links have been put by the moderators in the chat. There are numerous links. He's got his map. He's got his website. You're, you're one of these bad boys, man. It's, uh, yeah. That took a to... lot of work, man. Can't Not wait. just knowing all the stuff, but figuring out a way to arrange it so it didn't all crisscross. Can't wait was, to get uh, mine back from the framers. All yeah, right, I want to see it framed. Be, I'm <laughs> looking forward to that too. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to get going. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much. Hope you get a good night's sleep. Thank you. I will uh, chat for a while. And thanks to everybody. Thanks for supporting ANC and Sean Atwood. Um, anytime. You know. Take care, my friend. Cheers. Bye bye. All right. Absolutely fascinating. Ryan went deep and definitely content there that we could not put on YouTube. <laughs> so let's go over to Chris Hansen now. Let's let's bring him in. Let me just scroll forward. He's going to be going on the on the Nygaard case and the whole concept of enablers in big predator cases. So we had Kai on in the very beginning here. Right. He talked about the recent news in the Nygaard case, the how he's got a phone in the cell. The prisoners are getting pissed off with all of the privileges. He's trying to play the system a bit there. He's up for a bail bond hearing. Um, do you? Would you like to add anything to the, the latest news? Well, I Nygaard find it case? very, very, very surprising that uh, he's been afforded these luxuries 
in that jail setting, um, you know, why does he get to have a phone and assist his attorneys? Why is he not meeting with the attorneys in the attorney room or uh, having a regular phone conversation with the, the jail phone like everybody else? It seems like it is preferential treatment. And I think people are going to be asking a lot of questions about it as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was in jail for ecstasy in Arizona. <laughs> and um, people have got nothing. Yeah. And if they see any other prisoner getting the slightest little privilege, you know, they're, they're threatening to riot. Well, especially at this stage of the game. I mean, this is, uh, you know, pre-extradition, which is even pre-trial facing charges in the U.S. And, and it's not like the Canadian system is any more liberal. So it, it, it begs the question of what influence do his lawyers have in, in that particular jail that uh, allows him these privileges. So um, I hear, and, and I think Kai has probably uh, mentioned this as well, that um, you know, he's having a bit of a rough go because he's not able to get all the supplements and injections that he's used to getting in the uh, in the prison setting, and that his health is uh, is suffering as a consequence. But uh, you know, in terms of what the court would decide, could let him out on bail pending the extradition hearing. I I, I don't see him getting out anytime soon. Yeah, in Arizona, they say there are two death rows: people sentenced to death and people with serious medical conditions, because they just want to get that. They want you to die in a hurry so they can get another person on that bunk because they get like fifty to $60,000 a year per healthy person. And if you exercise your right to medical treatment, it cuts into the revenue that they're getting from the government to house you. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it is. But, um, you know, I, I still doubt highly that he's going to get it. I know there's been an appeal of the original decision to hold him without bail. And then, you know, I think pretty quickly, we're going to start having hearings on extradition. The extradition treaty is very clear between the U.S. and, and Canada. And as long as there's not a death penalty issue, which there is not in this case, and as long as there are consistent charges to be leveled against him in Canada and the United States, which there are, there should not be any significant jurisdictional issues that would, uh, you know, stall an extradition here. Um, the only other time I've seen, you know, issues has been when there, there's been a, um, a death penalty case or many, many years ago, I covered the case of a U.S. <clears throat> citizen who went to Vancouver and uh, was on the lam facing cocaine charges. And he was charged with a continuing criminal enterprise, a Stevie Hagerman case. And because that was a life sentence, potentially, it, it caused some complications extraditing him. They finally got him and he came over, but there should be no significant issues in this case that I can see. So if there's no significant issues, what's the normal time frame for extradition? None of this stuff happens fast, does it? Well, it doesn't happen fast. And especially when you consider, you know, the pandemic and COVID, uh, you know, the hearings are, are delayed and, and um, there are teleconference hearings. And so everything has slowed down in, in the court system in the United States and Canada. So I would think that certainly within six months, we should have some sort of at least a firm timeline of when he's going to be brought back to the, to the U.S. And then ironically, um, because the, the grand jury and the charges come from the Southern District of New York, which is right here in Manhattan, he would, um, uh, by procedure, go to the same federal lockup in Manhattan that Epstein was in. Now, that's no walk in the park there, and they've been having their problems and, and, and issues and, you know, 
there again, we have the Epstein story as to how he was allowed to uh, apparently commit suicide in that in that facility. So there could be a whole uh, separate array of issues there. But that is where he would go if they follow protocol. And the conditions in the have been described as pretty brutal. Do you think with his health conditions, he wouldn't last long? I think, you know, I don't, I don't know his exact medical condition, but I have been told by those following it very closely in this case that, you know, he's deteriorating quickly uh, because of everything that he was taking. Uh, his entire stream from his so-called fountain of youth that, uh, you know, range from uh, stem cell injections to supplements to human growth hormones. And once you get on that stuff and you, you get off of it, it has a severe and swift impact, uh, I'm told by people who are familiar with the medical aspect of this, and, and you can deteriorate pretty quickly. And this is a guy who, as you know, and Kai knows, and your other guests know, who's lived a, a very wealthy lifestyle for, for many, many years. And, and typically, these are guys who emotionally, physically, um, and, and psychologically don't do well in a prison setting. And by the way, not for nothing that, uh, you know, they, they tend to be uh, targeted by other inmates as well. Yeah, and that's why they've got him housed in a protection wing right now. High profile nature of the case because of the nature of his crimes and the wealth which opens him up to blackmail extortion by prison gangs. So I saw a clip today of one of the Pampa parties and he didn't look in very good shape. He, he was grabbing some woman. He looks like an old biker on Crystal Meth. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting, and you know that that special treatment also you know begs the question of you know who else was around him and enabling him. And you know, one human being doesn't pull off a human trafficking conspiracy of this magnitude alone. Somebody's got to you know, procure the women or assist in procuring the women. Somebody's got to give him the drugs in the cases where he allegedly drugged his victims. Somebody's got to clean up the mess. Somebody's got to pay off the the survivors and the victims, which has happened uh, according to the indictments over and over and over again. So you're going to see just as in the um, uh, other cases that have come about with Weinstein and Epstein and some of the others, who were the enablers? Who were the people who worked for him directly in the corporation or who were relatives and loyal because they were on the, the wagon train here. Who were those people who were helping out and to what extent are they criminally culpable? Some of them have been named in the civil lawsuits already. Um, one of the names that surfaces all the time is Tina Tulacorpi, who has been his right-hand woman for so many years and, and um, has been involved in the movement of funds and this question of other corporations being formed and where is the Nygaard fortune and, you know, what has been siphoned off and put into other companies and what would be available should he get out on some sort of bond and could that be used in uh, an attempt to escape the jurisdiction, to flee? And I think that's one of the, the concerns here in this case. So do you think the people named in the civil action uh, could become criminal co-conspirators? I think that's true. Um, and, and again, we saw it with uh, Jelaine Maxwell in the Epstein case. She's locked up. She was uh, denied bail just in the last 24 hours. And, uh, you know, that prosecution is going to move forward. And it'll be interesting to see in that case if she decides to cooperate and testify and, and uh, what she's willing to tell. I'm sure she knows a lot uh, based upon her lifestyle and 
her relationship with Epstein over the years and, and the testimony from the survivors that we've seen thus far, um, you know, could she hold the keys to her own prison cell in some respects if she were to, to tell all uh, and testify? Um, it doesn't seem that Tina Tulacorpi is certainly at this point, at least, willing to engage in that sort of a conversation. Um, I'm sure she has the information and she could uh, be very helpful to investigators. Although it seems that they've got a very solid case. I mean, the victims, the survivors in this case are very compelling. And we interviewed a number of them for the um, unseemly uh, documentary that's now out on Discovery Plus. And, and it, I mean, the testimony is just gut-wrenching and, and very compelling. Uh, it would seem that the, the federal investigators have a very strong case in this manner. Very strong case against Maxwell too. Uh, yeah. With Tina's name coming up, we've got Indyke and Khan coming up all the time with Maxwell and Epstein, similar roles being played, uh, legal stuff, moving money around. If Maxwell did decide to cooperate, like you just said is a possibility, especially with her plea bargaining power reducing, motion after motion going against her, do you think if she did spill her guts completely and started to name people like Bill Clinton, the intelligence agency interest would override it. It's national security. You can't go there. I don't think so. I mean, I know there are all kinds of conspiracy theories out there, and I happen not to buy into any of them. I think that if she were willing to testify and come forward, um, and, and again, I know people who, who would debate me on this, especially when it comes to the royal family and potential involvement or alleged involvement of you know, Prince Andrew, that the, there would be some sort of... Uh, interference there and, and uh, she wouldn't be allowed to testify or to survive it. Um, I think that they would, that justice would be served and, and that, that she would be protected to the extent that they thought there was a, a viable plea deal. And, uh, you know, I think if she talks, a lot of people could be in trouble here. Well, don't you think it's disheartening that Prince Andrew has refused to cooperate so far, just as, you know, to give information he's not being indicted even though we have these allegations, for example, from Virginia, that he participated in, let's just say, a full-on activity on the yeah. island with East European But you would rebels. think that somebody in that position, if they were uh, innocent, uh, as they have proclaimed, that you know, with his wherewithal to have a, a, a very top-notch legal team, that they couldn't broker a way to have a meeting and to have some you know, agreement going in and say, look, here's what I know. Um, I'm willing to, for the sake of justice, cooperate and, and tell you what I know, what I've seen. I haven't been an angel about this, but I don't think I've broken the law and here's why. And and you haven't seen that. And I think that's that's suspicious. All we've seen is arrogance. I mean, what did you think he th it was going through his head going into the BBC interview? Well, I, I know. And that's the thing. I mean, I guess if he had not done that, it wouldn't have been thrust back into the forefront of everybody's uh, attention. And I guess he thought that he could explain his way out of it. It reminds me of, you know, one of the predators walking into one of our investigations on the, on the, uh, the sting operations. They, the guys think that they could, uh, they can talk their way out of it. They can explain it away. And no, you can't, I've got the transcripts right here. Give you a piece of pizza even. Yeah, exactly. We just, <laughs> I just was, that's this week's podcast. You know, we go back and do the podcast predators I've caught and we uh, re-examined some of the cases and I was in, the studio just moments before jumping out with you doing that for, for next week. But, uh, um, you know, 17 years into doing that particular franchise and we're out doing them again. 
these guys are still showing up. So it gives you something to think about when it comes to the mind frame, the mindset of these people. And then you add the power, the prestige and the money up to the level of a, of a Royal Prince. And so these, 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 to deal with. <laughs> these, as a catch of friends, clips have gone extremely viral on YouTube. I urge people to go and support Chris's channel. He's got a channel as well. Go over there and check what he's got out there and please subscribe. But my question is, I just rewatched a bunch of the clips and I'm just still, mind blown and flabbergasted by this character that brought the kill kit. Could oh, you just tell people the, a bit about that one? Sure. So, Sean, and thank you for uh, reminding people that the new episodes that we're doing uh, most recently in Michigan are out on the, the uh, YouTube channel. I have a seat with Chris Hansen out right now. But um, yeah, in one of the recent investigations about five years ago, we were in Fairfield, Connecticut, and we had 11 men surface over the period of three days. And one of them was a guy who worked for the cable company. So he was in people's homes on a daily basis, you know, dealing with women and children and, and uh, having free reign in their homes in some cases. And he also was on the list to become a police officer in the state of Connecticut, having gone through the police academy. He shows up to meet a 13-year-old girl in his mind, a decoy posing as a 13-year-old girl in reality. And I confront him. We have a discussion. He claims he wasn't going to do anything except give this 13-year-old girl a driving lesson in a nearby parking lot. He leaves. The police search the car, and inside the car is duct tape, rope, a video camera, and a loaded handgun. So what do you suppose is going to happen if he takes a 13-year-old girl for a driving lesson in, uh, in Connecticut? Probably nothing good is my guess. What happened to him? He, like so many others, um, pleaded guilty and received, um, <clears throat> I think it was a four-year sentence with a few years uh, suspended and uh, had to register as a sex offender and is on the radar of, uh, of uh, state authorities because of that. I mean, he's not going to be a police officer, that's for sure. But, you know, y you wonder, I mean, think about this, Sean. Last month was the 17th anniversary of the very first predator investigation. Now, I thought in the very beginning that we would do two or three and people would get hip to this and never show up again. You know, a month ago, a month and a half ago in Michigan, uh, we did another investigation. We had a state prison guard surface, uh, a Michigan state contractor who had done work in the governor's mansion, a former police officer from Lebanon, and a, a, an engineer from the auto industry, all surfaced to meet a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid. It's shocking. The other one that flabbergasted me was the predator who showed up to meet what he thought was a boy, a teenage boy to have, let's just say, relations with, and brought his little kid with him. That was probably, people always ask, what was the most disturbing moment? And this guy showed up in our Fort Myers, Florida investigation, and it was the last predator on the last day of the investigation. It was... Uh, a Sunday, and we knew he was coming, and we're watching on the remote uh, screens. He pulls up in a blue-green SUV, and he goes to the driver's side rear door, and we think he's going to get pizza or beer or whatever, and he's there to meet a 14-year-old boy. 
and he leads out his toddler son by the hand and walks him up the driveway. And, and now I'm with a crew of guys and gals, Sean, who've been with me for years, who've worked all kinds of investigations in all kinds of dark corners of the world. And there was a collective sigh, just a, just a, a sense of how could this possibly be happening? And he walks in with his child. And I'm trying to think, okay, what's the appropriate way of handling this? You don't want to let him off the hook, but you don't want to traumatize the child, obviously. And I said, look, you know why you're here. I know why you're here. Uh, you have your child with you. I'm not going to make this any worse than your child. Um, why don't you just get going? And, and as he left, the police, the female police officer swooped up the child and um, they arrested him. The postscript of that story is, and we'll be getting into that into in one of the future episodes of Predators I've Caught, the podcast, is that the state, pending his prosecution, uh, child services uh, said that he had to move out of the house, that he couldn't be around the, the, his child. There was no allegation that he abused that child or was going to involve that child in the abuse that he intended upon the 14-year-old boy that he thought was here. But he moved out and ultimately was able to finagle his way back into that house with his wife by the wife sending that child to live with a relative so he could be in that house. They went on to have another child. And Department of Child and Family Services, which has to be very careful about public statements on this, people were so offended that they're reaching out to me on the QT to keep me posted because they're just, they're incredulous that human beings could act this way. And ultimately he was, he was convicted and served prison time as well. And you had a couple of the guys showed up and just got completely naked and walked in the house naked. What possessed them to do that? Well, the, the decoys have different profiles. Some are very conservative and shy. Some are a little more cheeky, let's say. So in one case, in our second investigation in, in uh, a suburb of Washington, DC, the decoy said it'd be hot if you stripped in the garage and walked in naked. Now, we didn't think he was going to actually do it. There's a fellow named John Canelli who was, had the, the screen name Special Guy 29, and he was neither 29 nor special, as it turned out. But he, he, he went in the garage, and we had a camera. We didn't have a camera in the garage at the moment. We put one out there so we could see, and he stripped, walked in, and the producers had put a towel on top of the refrigerator, which I had to pass on the way to the kitchen counter where we had the interrogation. And... Uh, it was just it was just stunning. And to kick it to another level, this guy um, shows up the next day in another chat room trying to hook up with another 13, 14 year old boy. And the, the decoy set up a date at a McDonald's and we showed up. We left the predator house to, to confront him at the McDonald's. He walks in. We see him. He walks out and I'm there with the crew and he's stunned, of course. And, and I said, you know. I don't know what to ask you first. Uh, I've been in this business for a long time and I'm very seldom at a loss for words, but I, I just don't know. And he said, well, I'm getting help. I said, well, John, I got news for you. It's not working. And he went off and, and uh, you know, in those days, in that second investigation, again, we weren't doing a parallel investigation with uh, law enforcement. So ultimately he was prosecuted and some of the other cases in that investigation were prosecuted, but it wasn't until the third um, investigation where uh, a sheriff's department or a police department uh, or a task force would work in uh, in parallel to uh, to make sure these cases were in fact prosecuted. So, what sentence range is did the predators get in the end? 
It ranges from probation and uh, registration as a sex offender on the low end, uh, monitoring uh, all the way up to, I think the, the highest sentence I believe was around 24 years uh, in prison. And some of these people have reoffended and then been sent back for longer sentences. The rabbi who surfaced famously in the suburban Washington, D.C. investigation is back in, I'm told, for a sixth time after getting dusted up and violating his, uh, his parole uh, probation after, uh, after you know, being busted back in, you know, 16, 17, 16 years ago. He's been in and out five, six times now. For the 24-year person, was there serious aggravating circumstances? Yeah. So there was, uh, in the one case, um, a fellow was convicted twice before of, um, of uh, statutory rape and uh, um, sexual solicitation of a child. So anytime somebody's caught with a past, they're going to get a much higher sentence. If it's the first time, you know, in the court's eyes, it'll be, you know, I've seen it go up to 10 years and I've seen it as little as probation, depending on the circumstances. Just got a couple of minutes left. You've got a few questions coming from the viewers. Sure. What are the ages of the decoys? I assume they must be 18 or over. Therefore, the predators are speaking to someone who is pretending to be 13, for example, it's from Tim Wilson. That's exactly right. Um, the, the two sets of decoys. There's the decoy that goes online and has the chat posing as a child. And then we typically have decoys in person who greet the potential predator at the location or send pictures. And those typically are uh, 18, 19-year-old young men, young women who um, look particularly young, who um, maybe some cases are theater students or police cadets or young police officers or sheriff's deputies who, who are very skilled at, at pulling off this kind of work. Um, it doesn't matter because if the, you know, if it's clear that the decoy says and identifies himself or herself as being underage and, and doesn't indicate that they're in any sort of role-playing situation, the solicitation actually takes place, the crime takes place online. So the transcripts are the transcripts, you have them there. You have the initial approach, you have the initial discussion of, of uh, sex with a minor. And showing up is really just you know, proof that the crime occurred. You know, that's that's the, the television part of it in many cases. So, but the crime actually takes place in most states online before they even show up. Do the decoys need any special training or special aftercare counseling, for example, after dealing with these sickos? Well, I think some have. Um, you know, people who do this sort of decor work online for any period of time um, most law enforcement agencies will require that they do some sort of debriefing and some sort of counseling. And, and in many cases, you know, they're exposed to uh, porn and, and uh, occasionally child porn, and, and that takes its toll on somebody after a while. So, so yeah, they, they rotate in and out and they get new people to do it. But um, it takes a, takes a special breed to be able to do it. It's important work, but it's, it's not, not for everybody, you know. Yeah, really commendable. So Hesse has asked, have you ever encountered any female predators in your work? You know, it's a great question. I've never had one surface in one of our actual investigations. We've had um, situations where we see the 
teacher, student, and the psychiatrists, the experts tell us that typically when it comes to female predators, you're more likely to see that because of the predator. The woman doesn't like the anonymity where the, the male predator feeds off the anonymity and the, the fantasy and the vision of who this child may be and who, who they think they're going to end up uh, meeting in person. So before we wrap up then, what are your plans for the future? Well, we're, we're um, getting ready to do more predator investigations. Um, we're in discussions with uh, some of the television networks right now as to where that's going to end up. We've got a little bit of a different format that I think will be creative and interesting to people. We have some of the new investigations right now on the YouTube channel. Have a seat with Chris Hansen. And, um, you know, we've got the two very important projects on Discovery Plus right now, which is uh, unseemly, the Peter Nygaard investigation and Onision in real life, which is an eye-opening look at a YouTube predator uh, who has been operating for better than a decade. So I urge people to go over and support Chris on YouTube. Is there anywhere else you would like the viewers to support you? Discovery Plus, YouTube, have a seat with Chris Hansen. Predators I've Caught, it's on Apple Podcasts right now. And anywhere else you get your podcasts. And we'll have all those links in the description box below the video. It's always a great pleasure, Chris. You have Sean, been- always a pleasure to be here. Sorry for the technical, uh, technical uh, glitch getting started. But once we got rolling, <laughs> I thought it worked out all right. You have a great rest of your evening then. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Yeah. Great chat with Chris. And this really reinforces our mission statement end the war on drugs. Take all those resources, go after the freaking predators. Because what did he say? A guy with a kill kit showed up with a kill kit? God. What? Four years? Had to serve two, three years. This guy had duct tape, a loaded gun, other things in this kill kit. (sighs) I urge you to go on YouTube and find the kill kit clip. And you tell me on the next live stream what kind of a sentence you think the sicko with a kill kit who was trying to get this girl out the house. He was like, get in my car, get in my car. What kind of sentence do you think that person should have got versus what Chris just told us? Because that is absolutely sickening. The whole justice system is upside down. The lowest hanging fruit, the low-level drug users, people with addiction issues, soldiers coming back from wars, the mentally ill, That's how they filled the private prisons, lowest hanging fruit. And the cops are telling us they haven't got the resources to go after the predators. Well, Chris is doing your bloody job. Get on with it. And judges, give them big sentences. Four years getting out after two or three years is not enough. If he was going out there to kill someone, my goodness, should have got at least double digits. Wendy has put 10 years in the chat. Put how many years in the chat you think he should have got? I'll read some out. And we are going to be interviewing some other predator hunters. I think I've got one coming up next week, actually. Amy says 25. Amy in Alabama, that is. Not a redneck. 
She is a high society Alabaman, not a trailer trash Alabaman. Alabaman. <laughs> Private joke. Snap has said 25. Polly Walnut's life. Kelsey's life. Hessa life. Castration in 20 years from Boz the Rhymes. Yep, these are more realistic. Instead, you've got people doing three strikes, 25 to life for weed possession. Cal, can you believe it? B has said the kill kit guy was a super planner. That won't go away with, in four years. Exactly. And look what Chris said about the reoffending. All right, let me get off my soapbox and bring in the new viewer favorite, Matthew Steeples. Let's get him up here. What page is Mr. Steeples on? Here he is, page two, quite simple. Invite Matthew onto the screen. I will also open a separate window on Chrome. Let's hope it doesn't affect this. Hello, oh. good evening. Hey, how is it going, you, Matthew? You found me. <laughs> We have found you. I uh, really appreciate you coming back well, so fast. Thank you for a third visit. <laughs> for a third visit, yes. And we are, dis of course, discussing, about to discuss, <laughs> all the people in the chat are going wild that you're on. We're about to discuss the Maxwell bail denial. And my parents also said they really love listening to you. So they've become your fans as well. well well, my best wishes to your parents. <laughs> Love to meet them one day. <laughs> when we're allowed. Or <laughs> have, have a meeting in the restaurant, bring them to lunch. Before we get to Maxwell, do you want to just tell people what you do and about your publication? Um, my publication is, it's a mixture of things. We we have a bit of fun with horse racing. We We write about current affairs. We are very involved in various different stories from 2012 onwards to do with people like Rolf Harris. I was very, very involved in exposing Rolf Harris. Um, uh, we, we do property stories. We do, we campaign against people who abuse um, giraffes and elephants. I'm very involved in a charity called the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Um, We'd like to see that stopped. Um, we have people who write for me, like Stephen Burkhoff, the actor who, the Bond villain. Um, we've had people in the past, uh, Frankie Dettori, a whole range of people. It's politics, it's sport, it's a mixture of different things. But we we are not politically affiliated. We have we have people from all walks of life. I've had students who've write, written for me who I've never even met. Um, and uh you know famous fashion designers uh all sorts of people it's a mixture of things it's slightly different to the mainstream media and um matthew's links are going to be in the description box below this video so please go down and support his work moving over to maxwell then i'll just read some of the headlines okay. maxwell was denied bail for the third time after a judge said there was considerable doubt as to her willingness to obey any conditions of release. Judge Alison Nathan wrote that she had, quote, significant concern about the candor of Maxwell, despite a PR push 
by her family to get her out. Judge Nathan said that, quote, the history and characteristics of Maxwell support the conclusion that she poses a flight risk. So there was a 12-page ruling that said no combination of bail conditions could ensure that she would attend court uh, for being Epstein's chief recruiter. So now the trial is still on schedule for July unless some, some kind of deal is cut in the meantime. So I could go further into that article, but let's get your preliminary thoughts on that. Well, my thoughts are, you know, she she did not get bail because she did not deserve to get bail. Um, this is a woman who has a history with hiding assets. She had over 15 bank accounts, some in Switzerland. Um, she purchased things with cash. She had fake names. Um, she still poses a fight, flight. Uh, Judge Nathan herself said she still poses a flight risk and there are no combinations of conditions that can reasonably assure her appearing if they released her. And then, you know, you think of people like the Nissan chief, Carlos Gossen, he fled in a box on a private plane. He had resources. He was able to disappear. People like this have the ability to move away. She could easily do this. She has a black book. Everyone has seen now her 200-page black book. It wasn't Jeffrey Epstein's book. It was her book. They were her friends. They were her family's friends. I know many people who were in those, that, that book. They claim they never met Jeffrey Epstein. Um, you know, you've had some of your your um, followers who've written to me today who referenced this 666 on your thing. Um, <laughs> and they all reference all these 666s on different people's phone numbers in that address book. Well, I don't know about that. But those people, none of them knew Epstein. They knew they knew Maxwell. Maxwell yeah. is the person, and she is the, still the flight risk. And then if you go further and you look at what happened with Roman Polanski when he fled in 1979 when he was prosecuted for raping a 13-year-old child, he never came back. Miss Maxwell is exactly the same kind of person. Um, if you look at what Roman Polanski has achieved since. He has won awards. He has made films. He has been successful. Miss Maxwell has the same attitude. She thinks she's above the law, just like her dad did years ago. These are people with a power complex. I'm no conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in all the 666 stuff, by the way. But, but look, these people have connections. If she were given bail, she would have fled, without a doubt. Many of friends who know her have said she would have gone to Israel. I don't believe it would be possible. I think more likely France, but she's not going anywhere. And Judge Nathan did the right thing. I'm about to go through 666, 666, yeah. any, anytime soon. So if anyone wants to screenshot that for possibility. You know, you've got 666,000 followers. And, and a certain Bernie Eccleston has 666 in his phone number. And, and they've all sent me all of this. And some of it is perhaps a bit of a joke. But frankly, the reality is Miss Maxwell 
belongs where she is. And I was asked about the bail hearing, and I said she didn't have a prayer in hell of getting out. And I think the whole purpose of the bail hearing was that she has such a large legal budget, her lawyers are gouging her. They are monetizing the pipe dream that every new arrestee clings to, that there's some way they can get out of the situation. She can fight a case outside of the jail and sneak off well, to another country. More so, it's her arrogance. She actually is so delusional like her father that she believes she's above the law. And was it you who told us the hourly rate that these lawyers are getting? No, I never told you any hourly rate, but... <laughs> Somebody did, and it's significant. <laughs> well, I can believe it would be. Um, I have spoken today with somebody who who was approached about dealing with the sale of her house, and they told me that the figures involved were crazy, and then as soon as they found out who she was, they said, no way. And that's why no financier is dealing with it. But the Wall Street Journal, um, let me find my quote here. Um, Simon Clark from that paper said, Barclays closed Maxwell's account over issues relating to that house. Wow. So people don't want to deal with this woman because she is toxic. And why would you? Because you're dealing with something that you can't easily refinance. I know a lot of people are saying this house is undervalued and maybe it is, but nobody wants to deal with it. It's just her. She's a problem. Well, we've seen even the giants of the financial world, such as Leon Black, the toxicity spread to him and, and deservedly so if he put up a quarter of Epstein's wealth. And... Um, he, 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 you know, suffered reputational consequences, but I think there should be more serious consequences than that. And now we've seen this, I think he's a hedge fund guy, is he, that's bought Epstein's property at a reduced, did they shave like 20 million off it or something? Well, allegedly he is the same purchaser of the London home, but... What? can be proven. What? Many of the people who write to me on Twitter claim that to be the case i do not know if that's true or not right that is one claim i have received um uh and since i appeared on your program last time um aside from mr brian basham who is very angry as usual um i have had messages from this molly sky brown uh who is allegedly either the online troll or the innocent survivor of maxwell depending on who you believe um there seem to be a lot of people trying to spin things around. And Miss um, Maxwell, you know, she would be do best, as you said last time I spoke with you, to perhaps keep quiet. Yeah, just get on with signing a plea bargain and do her time quietly. Yeah. And at least know by signing a plea bargain and avoiding trial where they will super aggravate you the maximum sentence if you lose and she will never get out, at least she'll know she's going to have some life when she gets out at some point. That would be the well, smart. I think 30 years or 20 years or whatever it is, then she can move on. But, but the arrogance of her is – I do know a lot of people connected to her who would say that she – 
she is the black sheep of the family. She is the, the rest of them, you know, the, they haven't involved themselves in things like this. One of them ran a successful internet company. Um, they're not all bad people. You, you know, out of if you have 10 children or whatever, nine children, whatever he had, you know, they're not all going to be bad. But she is bad. She's inherently bad. Do you think that inherent dark energy then was recognized by her father, a fellow psychopath, and that's why he well, named That's why him. he named his yacht after her, isn't it? <laughs> and that's why all the other children were rather pissed off when they didn't get to have the boat named after them. <laughs> Let's be realistic. They were all very upset. They were thought, what did we do wrong, Daddy? You weren't psychopathic enough. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> all um, right, look. Let's, let's the only other thing I'm doing about the Maxwell and the property is I will be serializing another chapter from Kirby Summers's book um, about Headington Hill Hall, the home where she grew up. Is that the, the home where she was disciplined? The next 24 hours. Isn't that the home where she was disciplined with whips? Where she was and... disciplined, and it was the Britain's grandest council estate uh, house. <laughs> so that will be quite interesting to many people, given. It has a connection to Alice in Wonderland. Wow, I'm in Guildford, which has a connection to Alice in Wonderland, because he, he, Lewis Carroll's house is here. Uh, well, Oscar Wilde also visited uh, Headington Hill Hall, so there's plenty of literary connections, but I don't think it, any of them are as gruesome as Miss Maxwell. All right, so let's just go a bit further into this article then. So... This was reported in the major press in the UK and the Daily Mail kind of led this. She offered to put all the money and assets she owns into an account supervised by an asset manager. Now, we saw last time there was a bail package, her and her husband, blah, blah, blah. Supposedly it was her husband's assets. We believe it was probably her own assets to begin with, but that's the way she was wording it. So now on this third time well, around... Where were these assets from originally? Exactly. That is um, the key question, and that is the question that should be asked again and again of this woman. How did she end up with this money? How did the taxi driver, teacher, and Epstein end up with the money? Where was this money really from? So the other thing that she thought, well, the lawyer's gouging her out of this uh, pipe dream, thought, put in the hearing, was that she could renounce her foreign citizenship well here is a woman who claimed to be a citizen of somewhere called terramar and she puts she puts <laughs> that in her deposition she claimed she was a citizen of a non-existent place she is mad <laughs> and, and i will repeat this again and again because i have i've had to go through it i listened to it for four hours it's very boring the general public will not be interested in it but she did say i am a citizen of Terramar. And here's what Judge... It's more like citizen of terrible, or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, but she's mad. And here's how Judge Nathan responded to that. Quote, considerable uncertainty regarding the enforceability mm. and practical impact of the renunciation's cloud, whatever relevance they might otherwise have to the court's assessment of whether the defendant poses a risk of flight. Yes, she is definitely a flight risk. 
Poor Ghislaine. Judge Nathan wrote, the new bail package does not disturb the court's conclusion that the government has carried its burden of showing that these conditions are insufficient to mitigate the flight risks. And the court again determines that no set of conditions can reasonably assure her future appearance. No set of conditions. That's the end of the feeding trough, lawyers. You yep. cannot talk her into getting a fourth bail bond hearing. The judge she is might, telling you guys try. no set of conditions. She may try, but she won't get anywhere. Do you but, think? Uh, do you think her, they would? Her, her PR man Brian Basham keeps trying, and you know he is a long-standing friend of the family, and and her brother, you know, to his credit, her brother cares about her. You know, they are family. You would care about your brother, your sister, but there comes a point where you have to just stop. It's, it's, it cannot go on forever, this kind of behavior. Do you think that it would be reckless to have a fourth one? I mean, that would just piss the judge off after they've said. Well, knowing her, she's quite capable of trying. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I, I don't put anything past her. This is the woman that went to the car rally to do with trafficked women. <laughs> you know, this woman is, you know, you, you could, if you made a drama series, you wouldn't invent her character because it's too, her character's <laughs> too re- unrealistic to be true. <laughs> All right, so. In a succession program, she would be, she'd be normal on it. <laughs> Judge Nathan believes that Maxwell lied to pretrial services about the size of the assets. Mm. She wrote that in a fail, first bail package, she claimed her only assets were a few million only, but her second bail application included 28.5 million. So Judge Nathan said the presumption in favor of detention, the weight of the evidence, and the history. And characteristics of the defendant all continue to support the conclusion the defendant's proposed conditions do not alter the court's determination. The judge is saying, did you not hear me the first and second time? Miss Maxwell never hears. (laughs) Miss Maxwell hears nobody other than Miss Maxwell. She has nobody to hear other than herself. She doesn't have Jeffrey anymore. She doesn't have her friends, the Clintons. She doesn't have any other friends. She doesn't have Prince Andrew. She can't speak to them at the moment. But she has got two computers in her cell, so God knows what she does with those. (laughs) Judge wrote that even without her passports, Maxwell continues to have substantial international ties, familial and personal connections abroad, substantial financial resources, and experience evading detection. Well, that's precisely the problem that causes her situation. Um, you know, people like Roman Polanski, they never came back. People like her, if they can get away, they'll never come back. They'll never face trial. He went in 1979 for attacking a 13-year-old. She attacked young people, allegedly. She will, If she gets away, she'll never come back. People tell me, who I know, she'll go to Israel. She could go to France. She could go here, there. she'll go there, anywhere. She could go on a submarine. I don't believe that's going to happen. But but this woman 
is someone who should be kept where she is for now. Face the trial. If she's cleared, highly unlikely in my view, but but anything is a realm of possibility. Um, you know, you've been to prison yourself. People, people, people can be cleared. You know, people can be found guilty. People can be cleared. You know, if if she is really an innocent woman, what's she got to fear? Exactly. So you've got a few questions coming in before we round this up. Okay. So how do you get out of the country in a box? I'm going to add on to that. Is that like the Papillon style box where you're bobbing up and down on the ocean? Um, the man who got out of the, out of Japan in a box was the chief of Nissan. And uh, he got a, an orchestra to put him in a musical instrument box and it was put on a private plane. And off he went and two American operatives who have been charged, I believe, this very day, um, were involved in organizing this trafficking. So if you've got the resources, of course you can go anywhere. You know, it doesn't, it, it depends how much money you've got, really. It comes down to, can you afford it? So Secondly, justice is justice is dependent on, in this kind of situation, on wealth. I don't say that's right. I think it's totally wrong. But. Hessa has asked, do you think she will get special treatment once she is sentenced? Well, she's yet to be convicted, so we don't know about that. But I think that she deserves to be treated just as much like an ordinary criminal as anyone else. Whether that is the case... I don't know. You don't know, do we? We none of us know that. That's that's down to whoever is managing her once she's convicted, if she's convicted. Because of the nature of the crimes, she will be housed, I imagine, away from the general population for a very long time. But even that protection does not extend to the staff. You hear all kinds of stories of guards doing brutal things to people who have been convicted of crimes against kids. And when we put this to the public, they do believe that this is justified and that convict justice is justified as well. So she's in for a rough ride wherever she goes. But when you do have that amount of money, you can use you can it to good... some comfort, perhaps. I don't. I. I, I don't know. I. Do, I know more about the British system than the American system. Um, obviously, I know a little bit about the Menendez case in America, and I can tell you, they've not been treated well. They've been in the hole. One of them has been recently been in a hole. Um, so. If it doesn't, wealth does not necessarily protect you in Britain. She may try to throw her money around with Epstein. He was throwing yeah, his equally, money around. Her, her arrogance may well backfire on her in prison. It will, because if you are arrogant, there are people in there who are looking to humble you very fast. And if you come from a background of wealth, high profile wealth, she's also going to be targeted for extortion. My my friends were very involved as if they were victims of um, Bernard Madoff and they were an early feeder fund of him also. 
um, Mr. Madoff befriended people in prison. He has he has survived by being friends with people. People can find a way from a position of wealth to survive this situation. But I think he probably is a little more adaptable than her. She is arrogant. She is delusional. You know, the, the photo bombing of the Elon Musk shows it. I don't believe she ever met him. She just did that on purpose. Um, there are many things she's done that prove that she is her father's prodigy. She, you know, that's why he named the boat after her. Didn't name it after the other children. I bet they were very upset. <laughs> okay, so next question then from Kelsey Wonka. Okay. Does does Matthew think it will really go to trial? Well, I think we're getting quite near to it, so I don't see how it cannot not happen. So I'll just add a bit to that then. You've got the prosecutors on this case. This is the career of a lifetime. And if they can get this to trial and have all the media around it, their futures are absolutely assured. On the other hand, if she does roll the dice and go to trial and you get found guilty in all these counts, and for, for an adult to commit crimes against a kid, these cases, you, you're not going to win, basically. So if she rolls the dice because of her arrogance, she's going to get convicted on most, if not all, counts. She's never going to get out. So her legal team, if they are going to act in her best interest and not completely gouge her, because they will make more money by going to trial, all the hours they can bill for that is just off the scale. So there's a motivation by them to encourage her to go to trial. But if they were really looking out for her best interest, they would avoid that. They would cut a plea bargain and she would know that she would have to just go and do a prison sentence quietly, but she would get her life back at some point. Well, she, she, she just doesn't understand this. She is who she is and she will not cave in. I don't believe she's, she believes she, is above the law. She still probably believes Prince Andrew is supporting her. That's why she hasn't said anything about him. She probably believes Bill Clinton is supporting her. She probably believes all these other people, Donald Trump, uh, all these people will come to her aid eventually. She's so crazy. I think this woman is out of touch with reality. Well, I, this, this... I cannot emphasize it enough. I know I keep saying the same thing, but that's because I do believe it. I, don't all my dealings with people around her they've always said the same thing this woman has never been anything about anything other than herself when she ran a gift company it was all about herself her father rejected it and said what a joke she couldn't cope with that and when her dad named the boat after her she was very very happy so this ties into the next question then about mental health. Sapphire wants to know, does Matthew think her mental health might become an issue? So I'm going to add on to that then. If she is in this delusional world, when she does get convicted, 
that's going to be the moment where her mental health really crumbles. But in the meantime, she could perhaps play the mental health card as a mitigating circumstance. She could, and she could claim that she's a vegan and she's been giving brown water and, oh, you can cry about all you want. But at the end of the day, if this woman is what she is, she abused people who were children. She trafficked people. The sympathy will run out. Um, there are people with genuine mental health. I don't want to get into the royal family and mental health, but, you know, they're claiming mental health. Um, but honestly, Miss Maxwell has to finally accept that she was a recruiter. It's plainly obvious she brought people there. You know, Lady Victoria Harvey, another nasty piece of work, terrible woman. Um, she said, oh, you know, she brought me to a dinner party and we did this and we did that. You know, there are plenty of people who are not claiming to be victims, but they were brought there by it. This woman brought people to keep other people happy. So her defense is rather weak. That's all I can say. Um, her mental health, well, maybe she does have terrible mental health because wouldn't you have sleepless, sleepless nights if you're in her situation, rotting in a jail cell. It must be awful for the woman. Going from luxury to that. But what about her victims? I'd rather think about them. So Kelsey has asked, do you think that she has so much dirt on the elites that at the last minute she might dodge justice? Um, she may trade in one or two, but I I don't know. I, I think she'll just carry on being arrogant till the end. Let me see if there's any more questions then in the questions window. Okay, so Nicole has said, Maxwell has a submarine license. Terramar is probably her underwater island. Well, is the, submarine, the submarine license, yes, and the helicopter license. and we, Well, she had those things, but I don't think, I don't think that really matters that much in all of this. Essentially, at the end of the day, she went around in a car and she grabbed these women and she took them and she gave them to this horrible man to be abused by powerful people and then they videotaped it. I think that's more important than whether she had a submarine license. The submarine license is a distraction in many ways. You know, the Daily Mirror made fun of the headline and, you know, I. it's curious she has one, but I don't think it... I think the real crux of this matter is the truth of it. They went to caravan parks and they took young women and then they took them to be abused. That's what I believe happened. B has asked, will she be protected because she's part of the spear tip? I don't think she's part of any spear tip anymore and, and those powerful people would wash their hands of her, wouldn't they? Um, I think most people have walked away. There's a few people left perhaps, but there aren't many, so... But I don't know if she realises that. She's so arrogant. She sits there with her two computers in her double cell with you know, her own floor, thinking this will all go away. The woman is delusional. We've got a final question then. If we agree that the courts are corrupt, how can there ever be justice? As she and them are part of the problem. 
I don't believe the court is corrupt. Um, um, I think we will see what happens, but I, I do think that there is no way this woman is going to be cleared. Another one question just popped up from Martha. Do you think, in her own mind, she excuses her evils committed against the young women? Um, I don't believe she thinks she committed any evil against anybody. Wow. Ever. She's totally innocent in her own mind because she was brought up by a man who was a monster. And if you read the book of Eleanor Berry, which I previously brought up, Mrs. Berry has similar attitudes to the young women. I think she came from a household that was inherently abusive. So there you have it. We have answered all of your questions. It's almost nine. Matthew, you're active on Twitter. Yes. Is that where you'd like people to contact you still? Oh, well, they're very welcome to carry on contacting me there. I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about Stuart Lubbock. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm away next week, but would you like to come back the week after well, that? Well, well, by then, things may have changed with that case. But uh, how, how, how many minutes have you got on Lubbock? Well, I can get can talk to you briefly about that, I think. Come on, then. Let, let's do it. We ought to do that quickly. Okay. Because, obviously, it's current. But, um, you know, the 50-year-old man from Cheshire who was bailed until the 12th of April. So there's 19 days until he will have to answer bail. I think there are a number of questions to the seven known people who were present. Um, two of them were women, which makes it impossible that they were involved in the murder because the man was murdered, unfortunately, by two men, they believe. There is one man who's been questioned. Um, there are two men who were present of a certain sexual disposition. There were three others who we don't know what they were, what they were, what their sexuality was. Um, and then there is the possibility of a person who was mentioned in February 2012 by the Mirror, the vanishing guest. So there could have been other people there, but the police now have 19 days to go on this. And um, it's time that they really clarified what was going on in that. Um, and the key discrepancies, um, if we go back to July 2015, Barrymore's friend, Fiona Phillips of the GMTV or whatever she was on with him, she said, my friend Michael Barrymore's only crime was coming out. I absolutely believe he has nothing to do with Stuart's death. It was in his house. There was alcohol. There were drugs. It was surprising. No one knows exactly how Stuart died. She said that. Meanwhile, in 2002, Michael Barrymore's ex-wife, Cheryl, in her book, My Life with Michael Barrymore, said he was forcing drugs on people without them knowing. I learnt that not only um, had he been doing drugs, but he spiked all the, all, the, all the food and drink. If you didn't volunteer to have fun with Michael, he'd give you the drugs somehow to make sure you did. I was starting to be scared how far he'd go. So there is a lot of things here that the police have got 19 days to look at. 
We've got the vanishing suspect. We've got the, the, the seven guests. Um, and then they need to delve into the involvement of Michael Brown, who was Barrymore's agent, who the Sun this week quoted. They said they just really wanted to clarify if there was a aware of anything coming to light over the last 20 years. Of course, my honest answer was, believe me, if anything had done, you would have been made aware of it. These people know something. And one of them spoke to another one. And one of them spoke to a partner. And it's time before Terry Lubbock dies that this poor man who's got a terminal cancer gets justice for his child's death. That is a good mission, definitely. So do you think the conspiracy is expanding then in the eyes of law enforcement? Well, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's it's simply um, a police force who have done very little. And last time I came on here, I was criticised for criticising Essex Police um, because I mentioned another case. Um, but Essex Police did not do the job at the time. What happened to the thermometer that was by the pool that disappeared? What happened to the door handle? That These things were seen there at the beginning. Why weren't they there later? Um, it is now time to get a resolution before this poor man dies. You know, his ex-wife has written to me via Twitter. Um, he is a very ill man. And one of those seven people or extras that could have been there also knows, and one of them could do the right thing. Um, I think we all know, according to Twitter, who the person who was arrested was, but he cannot have done that alone, even if that was him. It would have taken more than one person to do this. And all that is required is justice for this poor man who was the father of two children, whose father is about to die. Has Barrymore ever issued a statement through his lawyers? About Barrymore this? has issued repeated statements claiming various things. Um, and he was paid £60,000 to go on Piers Morgan's show and talk about this. But he would not face the father of the person who was murdered in his swimming pool. And it is not a mansion, as some of the people on your website have claimed. Um, it is a bungalow. It is a it is in a compact plot of land. It looks oh, it is an L-shaped property. The windows overlook the swimming pool. Those people knew. Michael Barrymore saw that body at 5 a.m. The police were not called until 5:46 a.m. Why was the 46 a.m. 46 minute difference there? That is a simple question for anybody, and that is a fact. Isn't there a crime of like fleeing a crime scene well, where he, a homicide is being committed? He, he, according to other people present, and one of the women, I believe, um, was seen rummaging through drawers, and and he took things, and then he went because he wanted to seek a safe space. He left the scene before the ambulance arrived. So that's just accepted in the eyes of the law and he could not yes. be charged with... But the, the, the many people who say that this house, which they believe the words of you know sensationalist newspapers who say 
this was a mansion. It is a bungalow. It is not a big house. It's it's an expensive house. Yes, it's a big, a relatively big house in some people's view. But it, the windows of the property, if you look at the front of it, the, the front of it was a garage. The back of it was where the windows would be, which would have looked onto this L-shaped section over the swimming pool. So of these people, more than one of them saw it. There is no way they did not see what was going on. They went there for this after party and they had their fun, which started at 2.30 a.m. And at 5 a.m., Barry Moore spotted the body. At 5.46 a.m., the first call to 999 was made. What happened between 5 a.m. and 5.46 a.m.? And another conspiracy theorist, these people would have talked to one another in that period because they would have panicked. Look, it was a party that went wrong, probably. But that poor man is dead. He has two children who have no father. His father has no son. His ex-wife, you know, she's written to me, poor woman. She said, everyone talks about Michael Barrymore. No one talks about my son. And that's the tragedy in all of this. This, this family are the victims, and Barrymore continues to, to go on Instagram making videos of his silly little games that he plays during the lockdown. I don't think many people want to see that, really. I think it's terrible. He said he got 60 grand to speak to Piers. What did he tell Piers? Oh, he said it wasn't his fault. He didn't know. Well, he didn't know what it, nothing to do with him. It all went, it was just something that went wrong. He doesn't ever apologize. And he keeps trying to reinvent himself. But this man, Terry Lubbock, has campaigned for his entire period for justice for his son. And he deserves justice. And he will die soon. And I very much hope that this final investigation, which has been brought about because he has caused it, will actually get him what he deserves. And is there any way that the viewers can support Terry? Um, I think you can support, there is a Twitter account where you can support Justice for Stuart. I, I don't know the exact link. I, could, I can write something later and share it but that's what they should do yes so if you're watching this on youtube then we will have a link in the description box so you can support terry as well as supporting what what matthew is doing huge thank you for coming back man. Okay. well thank you very much and uh great to be with you and uh we'll watch the epstein and maxwell cases and, <laughs> and everything else with continuing interest every time i go on the road news will break it's guaranteed that something will happen next week in the epstein case so let's see let's see well, indeed we've got a lot more to come yet before july definitely that. thank you very much yep so the links night. will be down there for matthew so check out his work and you have a good night matthew thanks again thank take care bye-bye there we have it then everything went smoothly this week we will get matthew back i'm pretty sure a lot of people talking about the Menendez brothers. Um, I would love to hear that as well. 
and it's great you know we've got this community now we've got like these viewer favorites ryan dawson charlie robinson matthew steeples and um on and on and on it goes constant breaking news on these big cases we are following and it's not just exciting and engaging it is important work exposing the super predators and pushing this education out there so that we can further our goal of ending the stupid war on drugs that $2 trillion has been spent on and taking all those resources, going after predators and putting people away with kill kits for double-digit sentences. So, huge thanks to all the Patreons who have made this possible. I'm really enjoying the community we've got. Love reading all the chat. Appreciate all of your questions. So, no, I'm not taking a break. I am filming 10 podcasts next week. We've got a lot of interesting guests, let's say. Not just people who have been to prison and ex-gangsters. We are moving more towards the activism side. Uh, victims of abuse, people who are experts in catching predators and stuff like that, because that seems to be what is resonating the most with the viewership. All right, guys, I'm going to go and put some veggie sausages. <laughs> Amy in Alabama calling me a robot. <laughs> I'm going to go and put some veggie sausages in the oven. Uh, maybe Ash wants to have a chat with me before um, he gets his head down. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but everything ran really smoothly tonight. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, moderators. Thanks, Kirby Summers, for lining up the great guests. Thank you, Fred and Dave. And I think, no, Ash doesn't want to chat with me. I'm, I'm free to just jump all over the veggie sausages. Um, I hope I thanked everybody there, thanking the whole team. Let me end this broadcast now. See you in two weeks. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night.